WWF, what the world is watching. All right, we are back with episode nine here on Cronoso. This is quite the potpourri episode we have going on here, as we only have one Saturday night's main event from Springfield, Massachusetts. But before that, we're going to dip our toes into a little superstars, a little MSG. And after we touch on Saturday night's main event, we're going to hit the spectrum. We're going to have a king coordination. We're going to have a face turn. We're going to have a heel turn. And then we are going to have chapter one to the mega powers. So this is a jam-packed episode of the potpourri of 1988 WWF. So let's not waste any more time, guys. Let's get straight into the action. Let's head over to Superstars from April 4th, 1988. All right, it's me, Ryan Gray, back here on Cronoso to bring you the first segment from Superstars. We have a squash match here with Andre the Giant. First, we have Brian Costello in ring, built from South Bend, Indiana, and little does he know he has the luck of the Irish here today as Andre the Giant comes to the ring, flanked by a plethora of security guards. During Andre's entrance, McMahon and Jesse go over a previously recorded interview of Duggan in Superstars from WrestleMania for post-match, saying that it's sight on scene. If it's in the airport, if it's backstage, if it's in the arena, if it's in the parking lot, it doesn't matter. He's going up to him eye to eye, well, kind of, mano on mano, and it's on, two by four and all. Tough guy. So the picture is painted. Duggan is pissed. Andre cost them his first round match with DiBiase. It was the it was the opportunity of a lifetime, and Andre costed him. All right, with this match, Andre just gets in the ring. Walks up to Costello, headbutt, headbutt, throws him out of the ring. Luck of the Irish here for Costello as he saves a vicious beatdown from Andre. Andre gives him a rather funny hand motion, a very charismatic like hand wave, like, all right, enough of you, get out of here. And wouldn't you know, it's sight on scene. Here comes Hacksaw with two by four straight up in the air. And Andre the Giant just walking around the ring, doesn't even see him coming until he turns around and there he is. He grabs the mic and says... I'm not afraid of you, tough guy. And in front of this whole world, I am challenging you to a one-on-one -on -one match. And Andre the Giant is so charismatic. This is his, the peak of his attributes here. He just very dismissal, very, he's laughing. He does a very Chelsea Green, disgusting hand flick of the motion like you're a manager that she is disgusted with. Andre is not impressed with Duggan. He is laughing at this man. And then he grabs him. He grabs him right by the throat and he chokes the ever life out of him with two hands. And then he takes the strap around his shoulder and he swines that around Duggan's neck and chokes living shit out of him. This is vicious. Duggan has blood spewing from his mouth. This is a great visual. Andre is doing so little but it means so much. Duggan looks so good as he struggles here. Hebner is doing a good job of trying to get him away. And then Hacksaw grabs his 2x4 that is laying there and just wallops him, leaving Andre down. Andre is down by one fucking 2x4 to the head. Really puts over the 2x4 here. Really puts over... Duggan as this underneath baby face with vengeance on his mind. This angle is awesome, guys. And it really does a good job of 
following up with Duggan, who was screwed at WrestleMania 4 by Andre. Andre is very dismissal of Duggan. He is not on his level. Andre should be the World Wrestling Federation champion. Or DiBiase should be the World Heavyweight champion. DiBiase paid Andre to be there, and, and with that money, he screwed Duggan, so all this has meaning, this rules, check it out from this episode of Superstars, we're going to continue this truck down 1988, and guys, have a great show as we continue here. What's going on, Cardoso? This is Mike Rossi, and I am here to cover a match and subsequent angle involving Rick Rude, and a man who is just quite a jobber named Jake Milliman. Now, this man was announced as from Cape Girardeau, um, and the, sh the match starts. Um, Rude's got full control. Jesse and McMahon are just shitting on this guy's haircut. Jesse refers to him as um, Hammers. Um, I, I didn't even follow that. While Rude continues to maintain control of the match. Now, after each like offensive moment that Rude has, he hits a pose, and they do an insert promo of some women talking about Rick Rude and the Rude Awakening, and they gloat over his body. Um, but, you know, this was all distracting enough um, for what was just a shitty squatch. And ultimately, Rude puts away Milliman with the Rude Awakening, probably about a minute 40 in or so. Now, this is all about the post-match angle, though, because Rude does his typical posturing to the crowd, and he goes out into the front row with his microphone, and he picks out one woman that's sitting on the corner uh, by the entrance ramp, and he asked her if, like all the other women here, if she was there to see Ravishing Rick Rude. She actually says no. Rude is taken very much aback by this. And then Heenan says, like, let's get the hell out of here. But Rude won't give up on this. So Heenan's like, all right, go, go get him, champ. He then tells her he's going to make it easy for her and ask her if Ravishing Rick Rude is the sexiest man in WWF. She gives him a good look up and down and smiles, but again says no. Rude goes no and steps away. Heenan then looks at the mic and says, she must be scared of the camera. Let's try it again. Rude says, okay, baby cakes. Tell me now, if you didn't come to see me, who is the sexiest man alive, who did you come here to see? She does not hesitate and says her husband. So then Heenan asks, what aisle is this guy working in? He must be an usher. Rude asks, where is this husband? I don't see him. Just what does this husband do? And then she quickly responds, he's a professional wrestler. Rude repeats it while laughing. He says, professional wrestler? And then Heenan said, is it the guy that Rude just beat up? Says, baby, he's going to be unconscious for a while. You better hop on that ravishing bandwagon now. Rude then says, now who would this professional wrestler be, baby cakes? The crowd pops as she says, Jake the Snake Roberts. Rude said he should have known because that guy's nothing but a sleazy, low-down piece of garbage. And for you to hang out with that man, that must mean that you are also a lowlife, just like he is. And to me, you, your husband, and your entire family isn't worth two cents. This incensed Jake Roberts' wife, who then stands up and slaps Rude right in the face, which obviously brings Jake the Snake out to confront Rude and protect his wife. Um, at this point, Pier 6 brawl, Rude and Heenan are putting the boots to Roberts while Roberts' wife screams right in front of her. Jake gets control back, and then they have a full-blown pull-apart brawl where the locker room empties and pulls these guys apart. So 
Uh, pretty cool segment. Um, thought that it was definitely um, well done in regards to getting good heat on Rude while you know making Jake at a big pop for the babyface moment. So definitely worth checking out. It's a cool angle. Um, and then obviously later on we saw continuous parts of this with Rude having uh, Jake's wife on his gear and right in front of the crotch and all that fun jazz. So go check this out. I thought this was a really cool angle and the match was much of nothing, but the angle is worth checking out. So find it if you can. Later, guys. Hello, Cronosa. I'm Ryan Everett, and today I will be looking at a match from the April 25th, 1988 show, Madison Square Garden House Show. And it was, of course, broadcast on the MSG Network, as most, most of these shows were. And it is the actual main event of the show, the last match on the show, Demolition defending their newly won tag team titles against the former champs Strike Force, and being uh, just four weeks after WrestleMania four, lots of WrestleMania four rematches. This is the the backlash of the of its time, as you have four WrestleMania rematches, and that's not counting Bret Hart versus Bad News Brown, which is essentially a WrestleMania rematch. You know, they last two in the Battle Royal and. Obviously, this match comes from that. So, four to five, maybe call it four and a half WrestleMania four rematches. But so the mid-show, the the big, the name main event of this was Randy Savage defending his newly won world title against Ted DiBiase, and that Ted DiBiase wins by a countout as new champions usually or the champion would usually have a three-match uh, series with a guy at Madison Square Garden, and Randy Savage is no different from Hulk Hogan or Bob Backlund in this regard, and he loses the first one, and I think we will see some more down the line. But that comes midway through the card, as I like to do sometimes with the the big singles main event. And then the end of the card, though, is following a 15-minute Ultimate Warrior Hercules match, because I guess... The four minutes that WrestleMania needed to be expanded upon. That match is second to last, but then the, the final match is the tag team title match of Demolition versus Strike Force. Both of them have uh, promos during the intermission, which comes after the Savage versus DiBiase, and nothing of note really. Axe and Smash cut their usual promo with Mr. Fuji saying very nice in the background, you know, his usual interview styles. And then Strike Force kind of just say they're coming to get their belts back. And Strike Force comes out and they're satin windbreakers and the great girls in cars playing, followed by Demolition to their great theme song. And even then, you know, they're still getting, even with Fuge to Stooge with them, they get a nice little pop, kind of, you know, Madison Square Garden, obviously. The New York fans are going to appreciate that team no matter what, who's with them. But uh, a little bit of fire from Strikeforce to start, which I like. You know, they're pissed. They want their belts back. And, you know, they're not really, you know, sometimes mentor, the body called them the pretty boy team. But I think that kind of went out the window when it when Tom Zank left and went from the Can-Am connection to uh, Strikeforce because I love Tito Santana, but calling him a pretty boy is, I don't think, something that happened too often. So start. 
it's a very hard start by Strike Force. They kind of don't even let Demolition in the ring. Once they do get in the ring, almost immediately Rick Martel gets the Boston Crab on Axe. Tito keeps fighting Smash Off so he can't get him out. And then finally the ref, though, pulls Tito away to his corner and this allows Smash to break the Boston Crab up. And Strike Force, though, then takes over. They start working over Smash's arm a little bit. A lot of quick tags by them. And then the demos overpower, though. Just get Tito in there. Or, yeah, no, sorry. Rick Martel in their corner. Do the double smash on him. He tries to come back and fire up a little bit. Gets a few hot sprint moves. But the demos eventually double team him. Work him over. A lot of slams, clotheslines, the clubbing blows of demolition. Axe tosses. Rick Martel out of the ring and Smash runs him into the apron. And, you know, the announcers for this are Gorilla Monsoon and Lord Alfred Hayes, so neither of them take the point that the apron is the hardest part of the ring, but Michael Cole would be yelling it right now. Uh, as this is happening, Gorilla asks Mr. Fuji about how he was not happy at the beginning of the match, but Mr. Fuji lets him know that he's very happy now. Uh, lots of demolition tags. They keep uh, working over Martel, Smash whips him into the corner. He hits the boot on the charge, and Martel goes for the hot tag, makes it, but acts to come in the ring, distracting the referee. So the referee gets Tito out. Demolition switches, and Axe, immediately after switching, gets a flying back elbow. So Rick Martel is able to make the hot tag this time, with the, which the ref sees. Tito comes in a house of fire. He's hitting both members of Demolition. You know, has one in the corner, hits them, goes to the other corner and hits the other one. Then he smashes them together. Hits the flying burrito to smash. The flying elbow smash. Forearm, of course. And covers, but Mr. Fuji is on the apron distracting the referee. Uh, Rick Martel and Axe come in. So then we have all four guys going at it. Uh, the referee tries to get Martel and Axe out of the ring. And as this is going on, Tito sets up the figure four. Mr. Fuji actually gets in the ring. I got to say, Fuji was a lot of times not very active as a manager, but here he comes in the ring and blasts Tito in the face with a cane. And Smash rolls over and gets the one, two, three. So similar ending to WrestleMania 4. This time it's Tito that gets pinned, not uh, Rick Martel. But again, it's the cane that proves the difference. A uh, good little match, though. Uh, Similar to the WrestleMania 4 match, but this only got less than 8 minutes, so it's a quick little sprint for these two teams. You know, it's demolition, you're not going to get, even if they're in there with the Rackers or something, you're not going to get a real bang-bang match. They're methodical, they slow the pace down, but it works here, you know. Good match, I liked it. I'd go 3, maybe 3 and a quarter. So, again, similar to the WrestleMania 4 match, just without the... the, uh historical significance of anything but this is you know demolition's first big title defense and this is kind of it for strike force they would stick around for a little while they got a lot of uh rematches on the house show market but in late may in a match that doesn't air till july but uh they give the demolition decapitation demolition gives it to rick martell on the floor 
and that knocks him out storyline-wise for about eight months. He doesn't come back until January. I think it was his wife was sick or was giving birth. There was some family reason that he asked for some time off and got it. So this is kind of it for Strike Force as a regular pushed act. I mean, they don't they come when Tito when Martel comes back, they team a few times, but then it's really just the getting together at WrestleMania, which we'll cover down the line. But yeah, this is a good match. Demolition establishes themselves as the champs, you know. Finishing off a Madison Square Garden show, even if DiBiase, Randy Savage was the featured title match, the featured main event. This is the final match, so that shows they have confidence in Demolition going forward. Uh, yeah. And that is it for me. I will catch you next time. Bye. All right, me again. I know. I'm sick of hearing my voice, too. Well, on the 16th edition of Saturday Night's Main Event, brought to you from the Springfield Civic Center in beautiful, well, not really beautiful, but Springfield, Massachusetts. Now, this is an arena that I have never been to, being a centrally located Massachusetts resident. This is in western Massachusetts, and in western Massachusetts is nothing but foliage and really Massachusetts hillbillies. Now, I'm not necessarily sure that they're the same as, like, say, Kentucky hillbillies, but I don't know. There's, it's just really not my scene. I tend, If I'm going to venture out, I'm going east to Boston or stay in central Massachusetts. So uh, Springfield kind of has some heat with me. But anyways, we're not going to let that get in the way of a, of a, a quick landscape here. Uh, 19,000 in attendance. That's a pretty round number here that this website, Pro Wrestling Fandom, is giving me. So it's an estimate. So I, But I assume... Wrestling's hot in the 80s, just like nowadays, so I assume that this number is a pretty accurate estimation. Your current champions are the Macho Man, Randy Savage, newly christened at WrestleMania 4, Demolition, newly christened at WrestleMania 4, and the Honky Tonk Man, in a legendary run here in the midst of it. So, um, the landscape is bright. Now, let's kind of look into the history of this arena. Uh, this arena was actually quite the stopping grounds for the WWF in the late 80s. They would seem to run this venue every, say, four to five months for a house show, as that was common in this era. But this did host one pay-per-view, 1997, December, D-Generation X in your house. And honestly, probably the match of the night was the, the finals to the WWF light heavyweight championship match between Takama Shinoku and Brian Christopher. But it had plenty of stars on it. The New Age Outlaws would defeat the Legion of Doom in a meh 10-minute match. The Undertaker and Jeff Jarrett had a forgettable DQ in 7 minutes. Stone Cold Steve Austin in The Rock in the Intercontinental title match. I'm sure the match was fine, but not one of their peaks. And then this was obviously about Degeneration X. So, Sergeant Slaughter versus Triple H in a... 18-minute boot camp match. That did not need to be 18 minutes. And Ken Shamrock defeating Shawn Michaels via disqualification. In the main event, Shawn Michaels retains the WWE Championship. However, so a very lackluster pay-per-view for Springfield, Massachusetts. But what is not lackluster is Cronoso as we continue on here. Here is the opening to the 1988 April edition of Saturday Night's Main Event. Listen up, tough guys. This is Hacksaw Jim Duggan telling you it's spring cleaning time in the World Wrestling Federation. And I've got the broom, and it's going to be a clean sweep. Tough guy. Hacksaw Jim Duggan. What a cross-eyed sickle. You know, he really thinks he's only wrestling Hercules tonight after that vicious, cowardly sneak attack of the giant with an illegal weapon. Well, I'll tell you something about tonight, you big buffoon. When you wrestle one member of the Heenan family, you wrestle the whole family. 
And when we're done with you, they're going to call you Jigsaw Jim. You know why? Because there's going to be a lot of missing pieces. <laughs> Tough guy. <laughs> oh, somebody called the police. And America, we were robbed at WrestleMania 4. The whole world was watching. And the whole world saw that we should have been champions. But you understand the slickster doesn't get mad. No, no, I get bad. And tonight, Randy Savage, you and your macho madness, homeboy, will be introduced to his royal badness. And who's bad? The gang is bad. Freak out, freak out, yeah, yeah. School Wrestling Federation title defense on television, yeah. I can feel the madness here, macho madness here. Elizabeth, can you feel the madness? Yes, Randy. Mm, yeah, everybody can feel the madness all around, yeah. One man gang, you're gonna feel the madness here. The madness, macho madness, is gonna surround you, yeah. Welcome to Cronoso Monthly on the North-South Connection. My name is Keithy Langston, and we are here watching Saturday night's main event from April 30th, 1998. And I have the honor and the privilege of kicking off the matches with Hacksaw Jim Duggan versus the Mighty Hercules, managed by Bobby the Brain Heenan and accompanied to the ring by Andre the Giant. So we're going to go ahead and watch this now, and uh, I'm going to actually start with the interview segments. Uh, so cutting right from Vince and Jesse's opening, we're going to go back to Mean Gene, who is standing with uh, Hercules with his chains, uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan in his wonderful red satin jacket with a silver bow tie, it looks like, and Andre the Giant wearing his best uh, houndstooth jacket. Uh, must have been really difficult for Andre to, uh, you know, have to find clothing to fit that well, so that kind of sucks, but Andre here in a jacket and... Just a white, plain, white button-down shirt. Uh, the mutton chops starting to grow in, but obviously not as bad as they would get later in 1989. Uh, this is just really fresh off of Andre coming, well, having, you know, fought Hogan in the, I guess, the, at least the booked main event for WrestleMania IV. Uh, Andre now doing his best impression of Hacksaw Jim Duggan's ho by showing that he's going to, He's going to grip uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan around the throat and squeeze the life out of him. 
Of course, Andre and Duggan having a feud on and off for the better part of a few years uh, between 87, 88, 89. And, of course, uh, in WrestleMania 4 when DiBiase was fighting was uh, against Duggan in the opening match. Andre at the ringside for Ted DiBiase interfering to cost Duggan the match and possibly the World Heavyweight Championship. So... You never know. Maybe uh, Duggan looking to get a little, set a little, little score here. And now we cut back to Duggan in his best navy blue, dark navy blue pants. Not the blue, not the black trunks, but the navy blue trunks. But he's here with me and Gene Okerlund. And of course, he's wearing, you know, he's got his trusty 2x4 next to him. Talking about having a deal with the whole Heenan family. And of course, Andre and, Hi- Andre and Hercules. But uh, it's a pretty, pretty standard interview. Duggan looks pretty jacked right here, so I mean, definitely working out. I don't know. I I don't know if I don't know if uh, Duggan was ever on the list for the steroids, but uh, he definitely looks pretty good here, in excellent shape. I always like Duggan. Uh, I'm a fan. You know, I like the goofiness that he brought to the character once he came to the WWF, and you know, different from his mid south days. But uh, I always liked I always liked Duggan. Ending this interview with a nice big ho, so. I know for me, whenever anybody starts a USA chant, I always go, USA, tough guy, ho. I always say, I always throw a ho in there. So, uh, of course, Duggan not having any music yet, so he hasn't stolen the, uh, well, Big John Stud hasn't come back yet, so they haven't, so Jim Johnston hasn't written that awesome music that uh, was John Studs, and then a little slow, you know, a little sped up version was Duggan, and then an even more sped up version was Sergeant Slaughter's when he turned face in 1992, so or 91, 92. So yeah, uh, pretty pretty great music, but no no music here for Duggan. So Duggan now in the ring with the two by four, Hercules on the other side. Andre and me, Andre and Bobby Heenan are now outside, and looks like we're gonna have the start. I mean, I think this is the screaming referee too, so or the angry referee as he's like as he's want to be called. So now at the ringside table, you do see the 2x4 as well as Hercules' steel chain. So we have the ring bell. Hercules wearing the black trunks here. Black knee pads, white boots as his uh, standard attire pretty much until he gets the powdered blue. And a nice uh, collar and elbow tie up here by the two, by the two big men here in the, in the War Wrestling Federation. Kind of testing each other's strength out to see where we're at. Bobby Heenan and Andre the Giant kind of conversing on the ringside area to see what's going on. Ooh, and a kick to the midsection by Hercules, and then a nice thrusting arm back to the a clubbing blow to the back of the head. Tries to throw Duggan's head in the turnbuckle. Duggan stops it and reverses it, throwing the turnbuckle, throwing Hercules' head in the turnbuckle. Now we go for a whip in, a reverse to the turnbuckle. Hercules reverses it. Duggan goes into the turnbuckle, comes back, and hits a clothesline to knock Hercules off his feet. So now, Hercules in the corner here. Andre's giving him a little tutelage for this. Uh, I wonder what Andre... I wonder if Andre... Let me see. Can I channel what Andre would have said? He probably would have went, I think you should get up and hit him. And that's exactly what Hercules tried to do. A big roundhouse. And Duggan picks him up in an atomic drop and drops him. Atomic knee drop. Hercules into the corner. Big back elbow into the corner again. So Duggan now kind of dominating this match right here. And he stares down Andre the Giant. Because he's just looking right in the, right through Andre's soul. Hercules on the outside now talking with Heenan. And Duggan's going to pull him back in by the hair. And he hooks him and throws him back into the ring. 
So right over, ass over tea kettle goes Hercules back into the ring. And Andre with a menacing look. Uh, Irish whip into the rope. And Hercules up and over for a big back body drop by Duggan. Duggan off the ropes to drop a big knee and he misses. Hercules out of the way. So Duggan fall full on his knee. Thankfully he's wearing knee pads. Very generic knee pads I might add. Just white knee pads, kind of the ones you would buy at CVS or Walgreens uh, if you're having a little bit of problems here. Not something you would think an actual professional athlete would wear, but that's okay. And Hercules now is going to the knee, the right knee of Duggan, which is injured, and the crowd is breaking into a weasel chant, which is obviously irritating Bobby Heenan to no, no end. And now a left couple lefts and rights by Duggan and a big eye rake by Hercules right in front of the referee, the referee admonishing him for that. But now Duggan is just leaning on the ropes here. He's in trouble. And a clubbing blow to the lower back area by Hercules. And then a kind of a knee, a knee-thigh hit almost looks like into the midsection of Duggan. Duggan seems to be, I guess, um, hacksawing up as he kind of is getting back there and home with the crowd. A couple of uh, forearms left and right. And he throws Hercules into the buckle. Oh, and Duggan misses and goes shoulder, left shoulder first into the buckle as Hercules ducks out of the way. So now we have Duggan with a hurt left shoulder and a hurt right knee. He just seems to be a hurting man right now. Hercules, of course, throwing some rights at Duggan as he's on the second rope, and now he's being choked on the second rope by Hercules. And the referee's giving him the five count. I mean, a five count, it he's being choked on the rope. Shouldn't the referee be maybe giving him a five count? Should he be telling him he's just really throwing a disqualification at this point? I don't know. But Hacksaw comes back with a right hand to, to Hercules. Another right hand, and another right... Oh, now that's a right forearm, it looks like. Oh, and Duggan! Hercules grabbing Duggan by the by the trunks right at the crotch area and pulls him, throws him out through the second rope on the floor by Andre and Bobby Heenan. And now Hercules is kind of distracting the referee, but Duggan gets back into the ring quickly, so no outside interference at this point. Uh, now an Irish whip in by Duggan into the ropes by Hercules. Hercules misses with a big clothesline. Oh, but he hits him with a big back elbow, and Duggan... Rolls to the outside part of the ring. Stays on the uh, outside part. And now Hercules just kicking him in the midsection in the chest. While he's on the outside. Here comes Bobby Heenan. And Bobby Heenan looks like he's going to throw in a couple of punches. He throws a right. He throws a right cheap shot at at, at Bobby Heenan. At Hacksaw. And now Hacksaw's got the 2 by 4 And he's running in. Bobby. Oh my god. Bobby takes a flying leap over the top rope. Hercules runs out as well. And it looks like we're going to be hitting a commercial break here as Duggan kind of, Duggan in the ring here. He's he's going to take over control right here because he's going to try to clean this shit up. And it looks like we're going to have a little bit of a commercial break here. And of course, as you know, I uh, only have uh, standard Peacock, so I'm going to have to vamp here for a little bit about uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan and Hercules. I guess we can go on to say that Hacksaw Jim Duggan, of course, having a pretty decent 1988, uh, as he would later on go to win the, well, I don't believe, because I have a problem believing that Hacksaw actually beat the one true King Haku, but of course, as everybody out there is aware, Hacksaw Jim Duggan did win the uh, the actual uh, crown from I, I can't even say it. It just it upsets me so much. But he did win the crown from Haku to become King Duggan. And I guess that uh, it is what it is. But, uh, you know, he he does win it. And uh, 
he, he ends up going on to lose that, of course, to Randy Macho Man Savage. Now, we're back from the commercial break, thankfully. I don't have to talk about that upsetting news about the crown anymore. And Hercules right back to now. Now he's back in the ring taking control. So he's hitting lefts and rights on Duggan. Duggan's in the corner. Hercules really laying it in there. Um, now, Hercules Hernandez, he's a, he's another character who, ooh, and he hits him and grabs him by the tights and pulls him back for like a lower forearm to his lower lower back region. Duggan's now on the ropes, on the second ropes, and, and, and Hercules just continuing to club the lower back area. But uh, Hercules, Hercules Hernandez is another another excellent character, I feel like, from, from the days of, uh, you know, the days of the character-driven people in the WWF. I always liked Hercules. Uh, I was a fan of his when he became the fourth mega power. And when he went on to become, uh, when he went back to becoming a, well, not really, not before the heel part. I did like him as well when he was in the light blue trunks. I always thought he was kind of a, a cool guy. I, I liked him. You know, what am I going to say about it? But, uh, yeah, no, he, he ends up going back and becoming another heel wrestler again to team up with, uh, Paul, Paul Roma for, uh, of course, Power and Glory, and that's in 1990, where they feud pretty much with the uh, <laughs> with the with the Rockers, and then that one quick match at WrestleMania 7 against the Legion of Doom. But Hercules, I feel his best his best moments, I think, may have been, may even when he's right before he turns face in '88, uh, even into when he's middle of '89. Um, but this is now, he was choking out Duggan in an Irish whip into the ropes. Duggan, he goes down, Hercules goes down for, you know, he, he bends over a cardinal mistake for a ring veteran. And Duggan comes back with a kick. Now Duggan's starting to rally back. Um, Duggan has like a big wad of spit, or at least he did have a big wad of spit. It's not a booger. Not like he had in five against, uh, when he was wrestling Bad News Brown. But, you know, Duggan, Duggan, I guess known to have a lot of, a bodily fluids maybe coming out all the time on his body between spit and snot and sweat and what have you. I don't know if there's any stories about on, about uh, Jim Duggan soiling himself during a wrestling match, but probably Hercules' wrist tape is kind of coming off as so it almost looks like he he should have been using it to choke him. Now here's the thing: is Duggan goes for the three point stance and he hits it, and now Bobby Heenan jumping in the ring to break up the count, and he actually does break up the count. And this is it. Now, that's the end of the match. The referee is disqualified. Now, Andre coming in, and Andre going right to the attacks of Duggan. Big headbutt. And now now it's time for Hacksaw to pay. So Bobby Heenan, as the ring general here, is, is ordering around Andre and Hercules. Andre just laying him into Duggan, these fists left and right. And here comes the ultimate warrior. The ultimate warrior, the, well, soon to be... WWF Intercontinental Champion, but right now, as we know, Warrior faced Hercules at WrestleMania 4, and so this is kind of the, I guess this is the defense of, you know, he's going to he's gonna stick up here for Hacksaw, mostly because of Hercules, not Andre, which would happen a year later, these two would kind of mix it up, but the Warrior, a very young Jim Helwig coming in the ring to kind of help out Duggan, and Duggan is the victor here by, I assume, disqualification, as there was no pinfall, and that is Saturday night's main event, Hacksaw Jim Duggan versus Hercules Hernandez. And this is for Cardoso Monthly. My name is Keithy on the North-South Connection. Thank you so much for joining me, and uh, keep on keeping on.
Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Jambalaya Jake here coming to, um, to cover another not-so-classic match for Cronoso. This time, I'm going to be talking about Dangerous Danny Davis versus Brutus the Barber Beefcake from Saturday Night's Main Event from April of 1988. Um, There's a, a hot angle stemming from Jimmy Hart getting his hair cut at WrestleMania 4. Uh, so he comes in the promo here. He's got a, um, oh, I don't know what you call that. <laughs> to me, it's uh, I call it a Morocco mole hat from Secret Squirrel. But he's got the hat on to, uh, to cover up um, presumably a shame from getting his hair cut. I like how upset he is about having, because it's not like he's bald or anything or even buzzed. He has more of like just a medium month haircut. So I like that he's ashamed of that. Um, but he has his own bag of tools here. He has some shears and scissors and these absurd giant prop uh, razor that looks like it's made out of cardboard. It's ridiculous. Uh, I love Mean Gene's seriousness here because it's this goofy shape with cardboard props and about cutting people's hair. And Gene goes, uh, he goes, uh, I got to tell you, uh, the situation is worsening by the moment. I shudder to think of the result as if he's covering, you know, like uh, like he's on the ground in Vietnam or something with this, uh, you know, these haircuts. But we then cut to a generic beefcake promo. Uh, you know, he says the same thing, strutting, cutting, etc., uh, etc. Et it's two for one night. And then he pulls out clearly a wig that's supposed to be Jimmy Hart's hair. And then he puts it on Gene, who is again disgusted. Gene taking this very seriously. He just thinks this is all appalling, just graphic and ridiculous. And then we head to the match. Uh, Jesse rightfully points out the candy cane tights on both of these men here. Um, but that the match, it's squash city. I mean, Danny Davis, what do you expect? And Brutus in 88, who's, you know, pushed pretty heavily. Uh, but the, he's throwing Danny around, who, of course, is dressed in his prospector uh, PJs. That, uh, this full bodysuit weird thing that he wears all the time. Uh, Davis actually gets a bit offense here. He gets some punches, very cartoonish, ridiculous-looking punches, where he like he like levers his arm all the way back to lay in these like clubbing blows. It looks absolutely absurd. Uh, Jimmy has his shears on the outside. He tries to get Brutus when Brutus is prone, but Brutus quickly comes to and uh, and uh, recoils from him. Hits Danny Davis with a absolutely terrible knee. Uh, Danny Davis just kind of runs into his knee and just crumples to the ground. Looked awful. And then, of course, Brutus gets him in the sleeper. And, like, Danny Davis doesn't even do, like, the sleeper good. Like, he, they, the ref does the thing where he holds up his arms, but instead of going, like, limp, it, like, weirdly his arm, like, jerks down. Like, it's clearly not limp. Like, he's asleep. So that was awful. Um, but anyway, he, he passes out. He's asleep. He loses. And then, uh, as he as he typically does, Brutus ritually cuts Danny Davis's hair, um, cuts some chunks out. And even this way, he takes it a step further, like, spray paints him. With like, uh, I believe it was black spray paint. I guess it's supposed to match the tights and make them look like a skunk. I guess it's supposed to be the idea here. But uh, very, yeah, very ritualistic. Clearly something wrong with Brutus of our beefcake here. That he feels the need to go through this ritual. He's a strange man. His tights are very upsetting where you can see like his side thass through. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's what you expect. If I was to go star rating on it, I'd probably give it like, I don't know. 0.33 stars or something like that it's it's not it's a typical filler match it's a it's brutus uh just so the people can pop for brutus doing the strutting and cutting and uh torturing these poor people highlight for you is probably jimmy hart and his ridiculous hat and his antics but uh other than that 
hey, you could probably skip this. Kind of sucked, to be honest with you. But anyway, uh, I will continue. I'll be back next time with Cardoso to probably um, watch another pretty bad thing because that's what I've decided to do here. But anyway, thanks for listening to Cardoso. If you want to catch me, listen to the Ruthlessly Aggressive podcast and linking up Luchas here on the North-South Connection. And I will see you next time. Cronoso Monthly, we are back once again to talk about a match. Uh, and by we, I mean me and Jennifer Smith. How you doing, Jenny? Hey, Logan. I'm good. How are you? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, it's been kind of a long day, but I'm uh, happy to be here uh, talking a little bit of wrestling. Um, we like the idea of uh, live watching our last match, so uh, we're mm-hmm. actually going to do that again. So, uh, But we have uh, One Man Gang versus Randy Savage from the Saturday Night's main event from April of 1988. So um, we got a little replay there at the beginning of WrestleMania 4. Uh, this was the semifinal match um, that uh, led savage to get into the finals to face dibiase and uh ultimately winning the wwf title mm-hmm. um and that match ended with dq so the that we're watching the interview uh with gang and slick real right here that's kind of what they're talking about um they don't think that using the cane was uh, illegal but uh, obviously mean gene's like well that's definitely in the rule book so you know he's just getting all all hot and bothered about it but um we uh on WrestleMania four our match was Greg Valentine versus Randy Savage and mm-hmm. Sa- Savage won that match and that's what he advanced to face Gang in the semifinals. So, um, but what do you think of uh Slick's outfit here? <laughs> yeah, he look. I mean, he looks slick. I guess. Uh, <laughs> he matches the background with his pink shirt and the pink curtains there. Gang looks tough. Mm-hmm. Um, He's definitely a big old boy. Um, he is big. And he does this weird <gasps> noise whenever yeah, he tries, tries to sound tough, even though he kind of sounds like a tugboat, which uh, tugboat will actually come in a few years later. <laughs> uh, I hate tugboat. Um, <laughs> I hate so, all of his iterations. So. <laughs> I feel like we've, uh, over the course of all the Cronosos, we've done a fair amount of Savage matches. Mm-hmm. We seem to have picked a favorite, I think. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I, I like that for us. I'm glad we did that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I can definitely uh, handle uh, getting all the savage matches going forward, but um, uh, I have a feeling somebody may be uh, a little bit higher of a pick at, at some point and may get him before us. But uh, I do like that we have had this nice string of them for sure. I like Gang's uh skull and crossbones uh motif. I don't know. What's mm-hmm. this? Yeah, he's got him on his uh, shoulder or yeah, on like his those. arms and then on his back. So. Yeah, he's definitely supposed to be a tough kind of street gang kind of guy. This is, uh, I'm trying to remember, I think within the next year he becomes Akeem, the African mm-hmm. dream. So um, kind of a play on uh, Dusty Rhodes, of course. Um, Which gimmick you like better? Uh, Akeem, just because he does a yeah. little funky dance yeah, with the, the dance. hands and all that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do love the dance, I can't lie. Yeah. Um, Oh, we, we talk- got Liz and uh, Macho talking mm-hmm. to Gene now. Mm-hmm. We talked about uh, outfits at uh, WrestleMania Four, but what do you think of uh, their their getups here? Well, Liz is beautiful. She's always beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. She's doing like a little yellow, black, and white poofy dress number. Mm-hmm. Um, it looks cute on her. And Savage, she's got his gold and pink mm-hmm. sparkles. 
He's got he's gone sleeveless tonight to show off the guns. I like it. I like the sleeveless. <laughs> yes, yeah, usually just it's usually just a big cape, so it kind of covers mm-hmm. all of them. But I like the uh, like the uh, no arm coverings for sure. That's pretty cool. Uh, but yeah, I like the color motif and all that. I wonder how but, scratchy that is underneath there, though. Mm-hmm. All those sequins. Oh, I'm sure it's unbearable. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they actually did have you know on the Saturday night's main events they had these little opening. Uh, promos that they cut like the two big matches of the night or whatever mm-hmm. one was Her- hercules versus uh jim duggan um and then the other one was obviously this wwf championship match uh, between gang and macho and macho's in his little part where he talks he m- probably says madness at least 350 times <laughs> in a span of about 15 seconds so it's just like man this year man yeah, this yeah. year did you know at at the groceries no it was a gas station the other day right at the register there was macho man's head and he had some slim jims uh mm-hmm. poking out is that's like still part of their marketing mm-hmm. yep they still it's still all over the place um they still uh obviously i'm making money off of him i'm hoping somebody in his family is getting some kind of residuals for that yeah one. you would think so i'm curious about that i don't I was know like, mm-hmm. i Go. said the cashier i was like that's Macho Man's head still up here. Did you know this? Like it was new star. Like it's been a hot minute. I don't know who. I don't. He didn't have any really surviving relatives. I think you know. Me and his brother passed right. away last year. Liz uh, mm-hmm. passed away. Obviously, uh, he's passed away. So I don't really know if anybody could get any residuals because he never had any kids. I don't think Lanny had any kids. So who knows? That's sad. Yep, the Puffo line kind of just ended. It was sad that him and him and Liz never had kids because mm-hmm. that's part of why he kind of retires at one point and kind of gets off the steroids a little bit, thins out a little bit, uh, mm-hmm. muscle wise. But um, oh, he's chasing slick. Chasing slick. <laughs> you ain't ever catching not slick, today. He, he is skinny and he is fast. So <laughs> not even uh, macho on cocaine can get him. Nope. But um, yeah, I, I guess I guess nobody really gets that. Uh, blow back i guess maybe wwe does somehow i don't know that's what i was just wondering yeah but yeah he's all over the place i i think i think it kind of went away for a little bit but in the last like decade or so i feel like once wwe kind of went back to like all the whole nostalgia thing Mm -hmm. and got into like going back into their history and talking about a little bit more i think uh that's when it kind of came back so Hmm. um but yeah, he's still the face of Slim Jim. It's, it, yeah, you it you I just thought, never occurred to me that that would be the case. I don't know. You would have thought that they would have found somebody else by now. Right. I mean, he was amazingly perfect for that, but... Very true. Chips! Oh, man. Snap into a Slim Jim! <laughs> <laughs> this is a lively match. Mm-hmm. I just always loved when he yelled chips on that commercial. Chips! <laughs> chips! Uh-uh. <laughs> oh my god starting off hot for sure <laughs> gang gives me a little bit of uh, Bam Bam Bigelow energy mm-hmm. yeah I, def- I definitely feel that I want to say ba- Bam Bam was in the tournament I can't remember who he faced in the first round I think it was somebody else i don't think it was gang um i should know this off the top of my head i am the oh, I am, <laughs> go ahead i'll just listen to that episode and i don't even remember mm, i uh jake always talks about my encyclopedic knowledge apparently so 
um, that I apparently have. This is uh, ruining, ruining your life now. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say, I'm, I'm, oh no, they did. It, he did face Gang in the first round. That was the oh, thing, hmm. so um, Gang actually won by count out because I think uh, he got nailed with the uh, the cane, the previously mentioned cane that they used on uh, Savage, and he kind of got caught outside. Ooh, that hurt. And here comes the cane again into play. Mm -hmm. I thought he chased Slick away. What the hell? He came back in? He, he ran back. And here he goes chasing him again. Yeah, <laughs> I was just saying, there you go. Oh, he caught him. Oh, oh, man. Damn it. <laughs> Keep that crazy madness man away from me, please. Please, Mr. Referee. I'm just a jive soul pro. I can't. I can't. <laughs> I can't take the madness. <laughs> Randy getting worked over. Mm-hmm. Getting choked and then he just got raked on the face. Mm -hmm. That his hair is it's... always wild. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't have it any other way, though. Oh, absolutely. I would love to see what he would look like, like going to church with his hair all primped up and like <laughs> well combed and shit. Mm -hmm. Slick back, maybe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. He's got some like oil in there, grease back. <laughs> Comb over the bald, bald spot. I'm going to hear about my Lord and Savior. Yeah. <laughs> oh, elbow on Savage. Ouch. He does not have the uh, orange that he had on at WrestleMania. He's gone back to the uh, red and yellow. So mm. Maybe a motif to who his big partner is throughout the rest of this year. <laughs> Sadly. Mm -hmm. I do like that they kind of op were like opposite. Mm -hmm. Like Hogan has the yellow tights with the or, or red or knee pads. And then obviously he has the red tights with the uh, yellow knee pads and boots. So it was a cool little thing. I don't know. Off the top to the mm -hmm. outside. Big oh. man down. Oh, wait, he took a cameraman with him. Oh no! <laughs> that guy, best bump, best bump of the fucking night, the camera guy. Yeah, he took Bill after out. I think. I think that's what it is. I'm just kidding. Not really. <laughs> just random photographer number one. Oh, off the top, but got caught that time. Right in the gut, but that didn't feel good. Nope. Slam. Uh, I will say Liz was much more smiley on this night. She wasn't as uh, worried, was. and worried and terrified as she usually is. She knows her hubby's bringing in the big bucks now. Mm -mm. <laughs> He's a champ. Oh, Randy, you're the champ. I'll smile more now. <laughs> you don't scare me because you're not yelling at me as much. <laughs> Poor lady. <laughs> Poor Liz. Oh, man. Oh, now Slick's getting in her face. See, like, why couldn't she just, like, slap him or something? You know? She's a nice southern lady. She couldn't do that. <laughs> As if Sherry wasn't from, like, Alabama. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. 
She was from prim and proper Kentucky, though. Oh, the ref is getting all over Liz. Okay. Bitch, now you get on your side of the ring now. What is she doing? (laughs) I don't know. Oh, he just got crowned. Slick tried to go for a savage. Savage ducked and hit. uh, He hit gang instead. Mm -hmm. Big elbow off the top. And big elbow. Boom. That's it. One, two, and three. First successful title defense. This was his first title defense on TV. So big, big moment here. Nice. Big, big pop. first, big first defense. Um, got a bit win over a big man. So mm-hmm. got more, probably more, a little more than he bargained for uh, in that match because he kind of got roughed around for a little bit, but came out on top. Well, you know, if it what hadn't been for Slick, he definitely could have put Gang away way quicker than that. Uh, oh, absolutely. Um, but what what would you give that one if you had to give it a rating? I mean, it's fun, and <laughs> I don't know. There's not a lot to it, but mm-hmm. it's not boring because it's savage. And I like the interference by Slick. Um, I don't know, two and a quarter. I got you. Yeah, I feel like a lot of these Saturday Night's main event, like the big matches, are like kind of in the two and a half range, two and a quarter. Mm. Um, but yeah, I definitely think it was a good first defense for him. Um, and obviously, he's holding the rope open for Liz as he's now a good guy. He's not a dick and goes out in first or out first uh, like mm-hmm, he would have mm-hmm. before he turned face. But big champion. Um, and now we see the British Bulldogs come on. But uh, what do you have to promote tonight, Jenny? I have uh, Wednesdays on right here on North South Connection. You can find my shows. One of them is with you, Logan. It's called Talking Docs. We should have a new episode very soon. Also, you can hear GC Dub, a game-changing podcast. And you heard about Pluto. And maybe something new very soon. And you can mm. find me on Twitter at Jenny Position. I got you. Um, and my uh, new podcast on the North South Connection is Linking Up Luchas. As of this recording, we actually recorded the first episode last night. Um, the next episode will feature you, Jenny, and Jacob Williams uh, being kind of my students in that journey, I guess, a little bit. But um, looking forward to getting into that one with you guys. Uh, but that'll cover the whole history of Lucha Underground, the whole four seasons that they had. So. I'm looking forward to getting further into that. And we had a good time on the first one with uh, Sean and Scott. So uh, check out everything here at North South Connection. And we'll see you with our next match. Hey now, Steve Bennett here from 3x5 with Steve Bennett on the North South Connection YouTube page. I'm also the host of the Sportscasters podcast and the 24-inch podcast with the great Hollywood Dave Rollins here with another Cronoso. Uh, We're at Saturday night's main event. Shortly after WrestleMania 4, and unfortunately, I have a non-title matchup. Non-title matchups, to me, should be reserved for superstars or challenge or house shows. They certainly shouldn't be on Saturday night's main event, but I know they would pull the old, this match was signed before Demolition were champions. How would they know to make it a title match? I don't know. Just seems cheap to me, but we start with the Bulldogs, who are with Mean Gene in the back. And it's a typical Saturday Night's Main Event promo. I know in this era, promos were usually all universally ad-libbed by the performers. But one of the things that Dick Ebersol and his team brought to Saturday Night's Main Event and made it great was more structured promos, 
clearly a little bit more scripted, lots of puns, uh, lots of innuendo, you know, and we get that kind of a promo here. Uh, Gene says there's a rumor that uh, Demolition plans to dip Matilda in Chrome. And the Bulldogs said that, you know, Matilda's just taking care of the weasel at WrestleMania 4, and she's ready for everything. They enter the match first. Vince says it's a non-title match. Very disappointing. And then we go to the back where Jesse's with the Demolition and Fuji. Um, they again say they will dip Matilda in Chrome, and then they will take her across the country. Uh, they're going to dump her off in the Grand Canyon or something. They're they're out there. You know, Demolition is from Parts Unknown, um, like many wrestlers in this era. And it makes me wonder, what has happened in Parts Unknown that they're not developing wrestlers at the same rate in the professional level that they were before? I mean, back in the 80s, we would have, you know, six, seven, eight guys on the card from Parts Unknown at any given point. And now you rarely see a wrestler for there. So I don't know if there was, you know, I don't know if maybe there's another sport that's seen a spike in parts unknown athletes. You know, maybe athletes there have turned to calcio or to karate or uh, basketball, football, who knows? I don't know where it is. So I don't know what the national sport might be in parts unknown. I always thought it was pro wrestling, but they seem to be out of that racket. Uh, we start the match and um, they go back and forth a little bit. It's really quick at first. The Bulldogs look great, and so do Demolition. Brand new champs. Uh, the crowd's into it early. Dynamite goes for a snap suplex and um, gets uh, derailed by Axe, who catches him in the back. And double team smash starts the beatdown. And a bear hug on Dynamite, who breaks it. But Smash smartly cooks him in the leg so he can get Axe into the ring. No hot tag yet. Axe works over Dynamite a little bit, who finally... Finally, um, gets the hot tag. Davy Boy Smith clears the ring, but really weirdly tags Dynamite back in very quickly. Uh, Dynamite starts getting beat up again and gets thrown out of the ring. Mr. Fuji comes over to interfere, and Davy Boy pounces with Matilda and chases Fuji to the back. Uh, Demolition then follow and start to chase Matilda and Davy Boy, who's chasing Fuji, and they're cut off by the referees. And the referees say they need to go back in the ring. And Vince says after a quick break, uh, there will be the conclusion to the match. Classic Saturday Night's main event style here as we split the match with a break in between. Perfectly done here. Uh, really good. We return, and the Bulldogs are back, charging to the ring. And they eat. don't have Matilda. There's no sign of Fuji. But each of the Bulldogs have half of Fuji's cane in their hands. And they are pissed off about something. Uh, maybe Fuji tried to dip uh, Matilda in that that chrome uh, backstage. But these guys are pissed. And for some weird reason, maybe to send a message, hey, it's a non-title match anyway. Uh, they start kicking the asses of the demolition with the cane, each having a piece of it, each beating a member of demolition with it. Then Joey Morella gets knocked down, takes a little bit of a bump there, and calls for the bell. Uh, the Bulldogs are DQ'd. Demolition wins. Vin Vinny and Jesse speculate what that'll happen to Fuji. And uh, Vince says he's probably really hurt. So the Bulldogs went to the back, kicked his ass, broke his cane, and came out furious at the demolition. Maybe sending a message, hey, we're going to be in this hunt for this title. We want a chance at this title. We want to get our belts back. We lost them. We think that was only because of the way we were cheated by Jimmy Hart. Uh, with the megaphone and the 
um, illegal refereeing by Danny Davis, which led to his suspension for life plus 10 years. Uh, so the, the Bulldogs make a bit of a statement here. Uh, but Demolition looks strong, too. I mean, they dominated a lot of the match. Um, they really kicked ass at times. And, you know, the only way the Bulldogs could really get the best of them was with Fuji's cane. And that's never necessarily a good uh, a good sign for the babyface team. But we'll see as we go forward in Cronoso. Will we see more of the demos and the Bulldogs? Because I want to. Uh, I really enjoyed that. That was a great kind of fun Saturday night's main event match. Um, and really what could be the, the start of an angle here. So let's see where they go with it. Uh, we know there's more ahead in the positive for Demolition than there is for the Bulldogs. We're only going to have the Bulldogs until, you know, Survivor Series 88, essentially. Um, so we'll see what they do here in late April until November with these two teams and what kind of fun we can get, hopefully more. Uh, that's it for me. I'll be back actually later uh, with more, but for now, it's time for me to tag out and tag in one of my Cronoso partners. Well, after that tag team war, up next, we're going to have Don The Rock. Morocco battling the million dollar man Ted DiBiase in one-on-one -on -one action. We cut to the back with Gene, Billy, and Don. And Gene asked Billy, pertaining to Ted DiBiase, how are you going to deal with the big bucks of DiBiase? I don't know how the big bucks are going to play into the match, but uh, Billy speaks in uh, financially related terms and says uh, that uh, DiBiase can keep his stocks and his bonds and his rare coins and his rare stamps. But the superstar is betting on the man with the million-dollar body. And he is going to take a piece of the rock, referring to Don Morocco. In which Morocco states, DiBiase, I'm going to take a piece of you. Um, he doesn't specify what piece here. Uh, this was short and sweet. Uh, two tie-dye dudes nailing their shit. And as Gene says, uh, two fired-up dudes are heading to the ring. Mentioning the uh, get a piece of the rock... That is a reference to the uh, based out of Newark, New Jersey, Prudential Insurance Company of America, which has been around since the 19th century, I believe, which used the Rock of Gibraltar as its logo and had and had the slogans "Get a piece of the Rock" and uh, that they were they had the strength of a Gibraltar. The Rock of Gibraltar is in Spain and is a really uh, interesting place. It was one of the pillars of Hercules in Greek mythology and was a could have been a pivotal part of uh, World War II, but a very beautiful uh, place. And uh, they still use the imagery of the Rock of Gibraltar. Even the Prudential Center in New Jersey is nicknamed The Rock, but they don't use the Get a Piece of the Rock slogan anymore. As Morocco and Billy Graham head to the ring, we cut to the back and we get DiBiase, Virgil, and Mean Gene. Uh, Virgil is fanning out cash and DiBiase is amped up. He calls Gene little man multiple times. He says he was robbed by Savage. He was robbed by Jack Tony. He was robbed at Mania 4. It's explained here that DiBiase has to beat Morocco to get another shot at Savage. DiBiase says that is not going to be a problem. Gene asks, is he possibly looking past Morocco here? Which no one should do because uh, Don the Rock Morocco is a two-time former intercontinental champion, twice beating the legendary Pedro Morales, so he ain't no slouch, DiBiase. As we cut back to the ring, Morocco is jaw-jacking with Virgil. 
He shoves Virgil and DiBiase goes on the attack immediately, hammering away on the rock. Morocco in the corner, chops, punches, choking him on the top rope. This was perfect. Morocco took his eyes off DiBiase and DiBiase attacks, taking advantage with huge strikes. Those DiBiase right hands to the jaw look great. DiBiase whips Morocco in, but Morocco takes advantage with a huge back body chop. Bouncing off the ropes, Morocco nails him with a big overhead right. DiBiase in his classic black with the dollar bill tights. Morocco looking great in blue. Morocco slams DiBiase's head hard into the turnbuckle and DiBiase flies backwards, rolls out of the ring, needs to take a minute because he just got his shit pushed in real quick. When he's on the outside, he almost confronts Billy Graham and Billy Graham says, no motherfucker, don't come near me. The former world champ looks great here on the outside. Him and Virgil are uh, an interesting combination of dudes to be on the outside for this match. Morocco's all jacked up, waiting for DiBiase to re-enter the ring. When he does, they square up. Morocco instantly using his power here. Take control with a headlock, shoulder block. You think DiBiase's quickness is his advantage here, but Morocco is quick as hell. Getting out of the way of an elbow and destroying DiBiase, with a, who takes another huge bump, this time off of a clothesline. He whips DiBiase in, and Morocco hits this sick, this savage, Buzz Sawyer-esque power slam, but he's right by the ropes. Virgil immediately puts DiBiase's foot on the bottom rope to break up the three count. Looks like Morocco really could have had him there. Billy Graham and Virgil are going at it on the outside, not fighting, but arguing, and we cut to the ring, and DiBiase's in control here, going for a two count off of a big knee drop, so I don't know what happened here. You'd assume DiBiase had to do something to get a little cheat ski or maybe just a distraction, but he's in control, and he hits Morocco with a beautiful suplex, both of his feet coming off off the mat for ultimate impact. Morocco kicks out just that too. Morocco is really worn out here. Gets his face smashed in the mat. Takes a stomp. Really struggling here after he pretty much had the match won with that beautiful power slam. DiBiase nails an incredible gut wrench suplex here. Looks great. Morocco kicks out right at two though. As he kicks out he seems like he's getting some uh getting a little second wind here. Getting a little fire in his uh his belly. DiBiase Irish whips Morocco into the ropes, but Morocco sneaks around the back to avoid a back body drop and hits a beautiful side Russian leg sweep. I don't know if it was beautiful, but it was definitely effective. Morocco using his power again, kicking DiBiase in the gut, whips DiBiase in with his one-handed Irish whip thing that he does. I guess it's an Italian whip when he does it. Destroys DiBiase with a sick back elbow, and we get another power slam here. This is a more traditional one or two step overhead kind of the thing that bulldog would be uh, best known for he gets a two count here morocco is in complete control at this point it's a double throat thrust cross-handed and then DiBiase, he's just begging off he's begging off and he suckers morocco in punches morocco in the gut gets a body slam on morocco and what do we get morocco puts his foot on the ropes instantly and the ref just keeps counting morocco was just pointing at his foot the entire time I don't know what just happened here. This is the same ref who counted Bam Bam Bigelow out at WrestleMania 4. I think he really sucks. It's kind of strange because Virgil walked right by the foot that was on the rope. You'd think he maybe would have knocked the foot off the rope. That might have been a little smarter of him, but maybe he didn't have to because anytime DiBiase's in there, there's a chance maybe he paid off the ref. Maybe we're going to find that out. I don't know. Not my favorite finish in the world. Morocco had so much momentum, really kicking the shit out of DiBiase here. And he loses... (laughs) We had a great thing in the beginning of the match where Virgil saves DiBiase by putting DiBiase's foot on the rope. Would have been an incredible callback if here Virgil had knocked Morocco's foot off the rope to give him the win. I don't know if that was supposed to happen or what, but I mean, this match was quick. It shows Morocco still had a a lot of cool power and a lot of fire and some great offense. But hey, the purpose of this match is to continue building up DiBiase as a piece of shit bad guy. And it happened. He'll cheat to win. He always might have a ref in his back pocket. And uh, that's probably what happened here.
As you can hear, my cat Sabu did not enjoy the uh, outcome of that match either. My favorite Don Morocco is definitely a meatball sandwich eating, jobber killing, Madison Square Garden Don Morocco. But he looked great here, and he's got the greatest nickname of all time. My name is Rocco the Rock Martone, and I say check it out. North South Connection. I am back. This is Steve Riddle back again for another go around here on Chronoso Monthly. And today we are going to be talking the final match of Saturday night's main event number number 18, I believe it was. 16, my apologies. 16, uh, Saturday night's main event 16, of course, uh, from April 30th, 1988. We've already had a pretty good little show tonight, considering this is the first one uh, without Hulk Hogan on it. Of course, he is off uh, doing his uh, no-holes barred. Uh, earlier tonight, we, of course, saw Randy Savage retain the WWF title over the one-man gang. We saw Demolition retain the tag titles over the British Bulldogs. We had DQ. We saw Jim Duggan and Hercules do good battle. And now, we, of course, like I said, are on the ma- the final match here of our show, and that is Ravishing Rick Rude taking on the Birdman, Coco Beware. It's pretty much a kind of a you know simple match to kind of close things out here as we near the uh, near 1 a.m. here. Uh, before the match, we get a quick uh, inset with uh, Mean Gene interviewing Randy Savage with Elizabeth as he puts over his win earlier tonight, as well as talking about how Ted DiBiase is on his heels. We then go right to the ring where Rick Rude comes in with Bobby Heenan. Tonight, we are coyote-looking little boys, according to uh, to the Ravishing One, as he shows off his, bo- his uh, body. A couple of girls in the audience are squealing, and his, uh, his tights are like a purple with like the hands on him, uh, kind of reaching up for his junk, uh, as, one to, as he's one to do. Uh, Coco gets a nice little uh, pop here as we go uh, first into a commercial. We get the, the little graphics of both guys. It's funny. We got Rude's like... Um, graphic there is he's uh he's got his robe open and his name's on his chest so i was kind of fun that actually so but like i said we go to break come back rude is attacking where on the apron uh where battles back as he gets in the ring they trade blows until rude uh, gets an eye rake in uh he goes for a whip uh coco leaps over rude rude does his uh gyrating not knowing coco is waiting behind him standing drop pick by coco one of the best um and the business not one that gets talked about enough i think he then does the hip swivel to mock rude who is clearly uh furious whenever somebody does that uh they reset for a second here as they lock up uh, Rude ends up getting, they try to, tr- they look like they're trading blows, but then Rude gets himself a shot in, knocks Coco down, drops a pair of elbows on him, uh, continues to work on his back to kind of negate the aerial offense as Jesse uh, makes a good note here as he, uh, he and Vince are kind of going back and forth about uh, about Rude and how good he looks, good he looks, of course, uh, they have to bring up, of course, that Rude won the Jesse the Body Award back at the Slammies, as they are one to do. Uh, Rude drops a trio of elbows on the back, does another pose for the audience, for the fan, does another pose for the women. Nice snap suplex by Rude. Goes up top, drops a fist on Coco. Uh, doesn't uh, go for the pin. Instead, he chokes Coco on the ropes as we get uh, behind the shot there of uh, Frankie sitting on his little post there. And I like how Bobby's kind of looking over, glaring at the parrot like he's about to uh, do something to do something to him. Uh, nice standing drop kick by Rude. Not something you see out of his arsenal. He does another, uh, you know, pose for the crowd. Uh, he goes for a second drop kick, but Ware is able to hold the ropes. Rude lands hard on the mat. Coco starts to fire up. Hits a nice backdrop on Rude. He gets all fired up. He thinks he's got it under control, but then he goes for a dive. But Rude avoids him, and Coco ends up hanging himself on the top rope, leading to Rude snapping off a nice Rude awakening to get the three. So. Uh, decent, you know, way to close out the show. Match goes about three minutes and forty-four seconds. It's 
fairly pretty much a squash. Uh, Coco did get a good sh- couple good shots in. He did look um, did look good here, but Rude ends up getting the win. Uh, he is of course heading for a lot bigger things here. I believe it was uh, if it hasn't happened yet, it's going to be happening soon. The uh, issue with uh, Jake Roberts, uh, where he goes after uh, Roberts' wife Cheryl. Uh, on an episode of Superstars, which, like I said, I think it's, if it hasn't happened yet, it's going to be coming up here uh, while Coco continues to do his thing. So uh, that will be a uh, fine way to close out uh, Saturday Night's Man event. We then have two quick insets with Jesse and Vince as they talk about Savage and DiBiase's win. And then they cl- they close us out here saying uh, they'll see us in the fall season as Jesse um, gets excited that he doesn't have to spend the summer with Vince. So and that with that, we are out. So again, good little way to end the show here and uh, continue things on into the spring. And with that, we will go ahead and wrap it up here for this edition of Saturday Night's Main Event. Thank you for joining me. Uh, you can usually find me over on my normal feeds uh, on the PTB Pop Experience and the PTB Wrestling feed. And don't forget to check me out, you know, to check out the PTB Facebook group. Uh, lots of good stuff going on over there, including our greatest song of the 2000s tournament. So please make sure to get involved in that. With that said, I am Steve Riddle. Thank you for listening, and we will see you at our next big event. Take care. Welcome to Cronosa Monthly. This is Tim Slavka. I got the privilege of taking you through a Superstars match from May 14th, 1988. Hulk Hogan versus Boris Zukov. What a strange match and a strange time for Hulk Hogan. Uh, so this match is from Superstars. Uh, in the middle of Superstars, interesting. It's kind of not at the beginning, not at the end. Uh, about 30 minutes into the, the show. So really weird pairing with Slick with the... Uh, the Bolsheviks, I, I don't feel that he fits with their theme um, of a team. I just never thought this one connected. I, I, never really a Bolsheviks fan either with Nikolai or Boris. Uh, but we get the classic, uh, them coming out to the ring and doing their Soviet national anthem to massive boos. And out comes Hulk Hogan to a massive prop. This crowd is livid for Hulk Hogan. Uh, Hogan comes out with a huge... Um, American flag running down. Really weird to have him without his uh, without his title belt. And even Jesse kind of calls it out. Uh, at the beginning of the, the match, both Russians attack uh, Hulk Hogan and really go at him. And then finally Hogan gets uh, nails Zukov out of the way. And <coughs> um, starts with B- Boris as the match rings. Uh, the crowd is just absolutely nuts for this four-minute match, uh, especially the beginning part. We got Vince and Jesse on commentary uh, on Superstars. So right as he gets... Boris and, and uh, right as Hogan gets Boris and Nikolai off. Uh, Hogan, of course, tears his sh- shirt and really starts knocking down Boris. Boris just does not stand a, stand a chance in this match at all. It's really a massive mismatch uh, on paper and in talents, uh, even for the 89 Hogan, or it's just 88 Hogan. Uh, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Ho- Boris, uh, with Hogan dominating the first two minutes of the match, Boris gets a kick to the gut and really starts turning the momentum, starts nailing him down. Uh, and even after that, uh, there's a back body drop that Boris does. And, and finally, Hogan, of course, gets his Hulk up and, and just does a nose. It's just really lame right now with Hogan uh, as far as Boris Zukov. Zukov does nothing in this match to even have Hogan use it there. I, I think it's such a trope of Hogan's uh, early uh, early 90s, end of 80s just to do this move. I, I don't think it's necessary here because it just doesn't have much value. But anyways, uh, <clears throat> Hogan, of class, does the nose. Big boot to the face, slam, leg drop, squash match. Uh, then Nikolai comes in, he slams him while the music's playing. You can barely even see the slam, too. This way the camera's angle is filmed. Again, this is for our superstars, so you think they'd have multiple angles, but you really can't see him slam, which kind of 
Nikolai's a bigger guy, good accomplishments. Uh, I just might say the Soviets are treated such a joke. I get that. They're trying to put the Americans over, but uh, really they never stood a chance here. Slink that gets, gets gets in the ring. Hogan takes his hat off, and then there's an atomic drop, and Slick with an awesome sell job of kind of jumping and hopping over the top rope. Hogan really didn't get him there. I'm not blaming Hogan for that one, but it definitely Slick gets some extra points for doing that. Uh, Vince losing his mind at the crowd noise, which is insane for Hulk Hogan at the end of the match. Kind of wondering if he has buyer's remorse as far as giving Macho the title. I know they're setting up the bigger thing, but Vince was definitely egging on Hulk Hogan. And of course, throughout this whole match, <laughs> Jesse Ventura is just hating that Hogan's the champ. Uh, Hogan's dominating, getting the crowd pops, but he does keep commenting. Hogan looks naked without his belt. So we'll see with Macho Man, his best buddy now uh, has a title. If that anything will come up about that, but. Nice match. I mean, for this crowd, a superstars taping probably filled with 30 matches and to get a Hulk Hogan match and a Hulk Hogan squash and really dominant and, and, you know, does his standard moves. Probably a really fun day. The crowd loved it, ate it up. Fun match uh, to throw here on the Cronoso Monthly uh, for summer of 1988. So really glad to have a Hulk Hogan match and really glad to be part of it. Uh, my name is, again, Tim Slomka. I do on the North-South Connection uh, new Gen on a Mission. We're doing Brent Shaw Survivor Series 92 to Brent Shaw Survivor 97. We're going through Superstars. That works out perfectly that I'm doing a Superstars, but Superstars from 1994 right now. We do Raws weekly, and then we do all the pay-per-views. We just finished a great WrestleMania 10. We're about to cut. We're right now in the middle of King of the Ring qualifying uh, to get to the 1994's King of the Ring, the Art Donovan Owen Hart special. So hope you guys can check us out. Listen, rate, and review all the North-South Connection shows, and we'll see you back in a few weeks. Thanks again. Up next, we're going to have a little bit of business from the May 21st, 1988 episode of Superstars. We have Brutus Beefcake out to talk about some unfinished business that he has from WrestleMania 4. If you remember at WrestleMania 4, Brutus Beefcake on the Honky Tonk Man had a match for the Intercontinental Championship. Brutus Beefcake won by disqualification, and he did manage to cut some of Jimmy the Mouth of the South Hart's hair, but he did not take home the Intercontinental Championship. Beefcake here says that he put the fear of God into Jimmy Hart, and that he's not through with the Honky Tonk Man. At this moment, we see Jimmy Mouth of the South Hart walk up to the interview platform that Brutus is on, and he's shouting with his megaphone, and he's pointing to his hair, and he's wearing a uh, Curtis Sliwa Guardian Angel style beret with a bunch of pins on it that's an awesome touch there by jimmy to wear the beret to hide his shame about having his hair cut beefcake is pissed here he threatens to turn jimmy hart into a cue ball <laughs> obviously indicating he's gonna shave him all the way down to the scalp he's stalking jimmy from the platform and at this moment honky tonk man runs full speed up from behind the beefer and levels him in the back of the head with an acoustic guitar, just rocking his dome. This really rules because the camera is pointing up at Beefcake as he's looking down at Jimmy. And we see Honky Tonk Man book up the stairs behind Beefcake and wind up. And then right at the moment of impact, it cuts to a camera behind Beefcake and Honky. So you see the full impact of Honky's guitar crushing Beefcake's skull. And uh, we capture that moment of wood on skull perfectly here. Now, one great thing about the Honky Tonk Man guitar shots, uh, as you could ask Jake the Snake Roberts and his broken neck, are that uh, it seems like Honky Tonk Man is using a real guitar. He's not using a balsa wood guitar like you'll see a Jeff Jarrett or a New Jack use more uh, recently. The guitars he's using are most likely spruce or cedar. Uh, mahogany sometimes is used. And these are all strong woods that uh, do not have much give and definitely hurt like a motherfucker when you get nailed with it. After Beefcake's knob in his wrecked, he, he drops his clippers and falls off the podium in a cool little bump. As soon as he lands on the ground, Jimmy is taunting him in the floor right in his fucking face with the megaphone. It's great. Beefcake obviously is not happy with this. Honky says, somebody says... 
my guitar was not tuned up. Well, that's the only way I know how to tune it up, he says, <laughs> in reference to his uh, El Kabonging beefer. And uh, yeah, he definitely tuned up Beefcake's cranium all right, man. Honky Tonk Man also says, you think I played a mean tune? Well, you ain't heard nothing yet. It looks like he's about to commit a little more uh, cranial damage here, but the uh, it looks like Rene Goulet and uh, Tony Gurria and some other officials run out and stop him from uh, totally destroying Beefcake's brains even further, turning his uh, cherry pie into jam, perhaps. We get a great close-up of Honky Tonk's guitar with Ed Wesley-sized head hole in the body of it, just looking like it barely gave, man, like, fuck, man. We see blood streaking down the back of Beefcake as he gets up. It's a great close-up here. Uh, the future disciple here is carried out with his arms outstretched in a uh, Jesus Christ pose. And uh, the segment ends uh, brutal, brutal bit of business there. Love the blood. Love seeing it. Much like the Soundgarden song Jesus Christ pose that I just mentioned, man, this segment was sudden. It was violent. It was sanguineous. It was uh, just great, man. A bloody prelude to a future battle. Check it out if you have a chance. It's a great little segment. My name's Rocco Martone. I say check it out. Hey there, everyone. This is the Down Under Thunder. It's Dave Hall all the way from Australia. And I'm going to do something just a little bit different um, in today's chronos. So I'm not going to look at one match or one interview. I'm going to look at a couple of, of interviews, segments, and matches all together about the Rougeau brothers. The fabulous Rougeau brothers, Jacques and Raymond. Now, you might be sitting there going, you know what? I haven't heard a lot about Jacques and Raymond on the Cronoso outside of, you know, WrestleMania and Survivor Series 87. What have they been doing? Well, the reality is not much. Since their entry into the company in 1986, the Rougeaus had pretty well done nothing. They'd been white meat baby faces feeding into different tag team matches and had had no story, no real role in the company. Um, and they actually hold a pretty, uh, pretty special place in my heart because their first matches in the company were actually held down here in Australia. You know, February 86, just before WrestleMania 2, they were down here on debut uh, wrestling in, in, in Australia. And, you know, I've always liked that about them. But... You know, they didn't do much after that. You know, we saw them at uh, we saw them at WrestleMania three, and really they just played the the backdrop to the breakup of the Dream Team. We saw them at Survivor Series eighty seven. They did nothing. We saw them in WrestleMania four Battle Royal. They did nothing. So why am I going to talk about the Rougeau brothers? Because in June nineteen eighty eight the WWF decided to do something with them. And, uh, and it starts out really cool. So, you know, June 4, 1988, you know, wrestling, superstars of wrestling, we get our weekly interview segment with Craig DeGeorge up on the stage out in the arena. And, well, it was unusual because they had the Rougeau brothers out there to do the interview. Um, and, uh, and, and, and they note straight up that, that, they want to be called the fabulous Rougeau brothers. Um, you know, they, it, it happens after, after a Dino Bravo match and, and Ray sort of starts talking about the fact that they've been told they have a lot of things in common with Dino Bravo, but really the only thing in common they have with Bravo is they speak French. Um, they talk about the fabulous time they've been having in the United States and the fabulous places they've been and the fabulous fans and really playing up the fabulous things. And then, uh, 
they actually mix up a couple of US monuments that you know they've been visiting different places and Vince calls them out on it and and they sort of know oh but they are from Canada and they might not really understand it's all cool but but Raymond says they have nothing in common with Dino Bravo but yet probably 20% of the people 20% of you fans still boo us now it's very unusual in 88 to call out the fact that fans might not be giving them the best reception. So this obviously is pointing towards where they go. In fact, the only other time I can remember them doing this was with the honky tonk man in late 86 and his heel turn. Um, Jacques and Raymond say that they want to show the people something special. And they pull out little us flags and, and um, they get a semi-decent reaction, but, Craig de George points out they're not the not the biggest flags you've ever seen. Um, Jacques wants to talk fan uh, talk French to his fans, and they start a bit of a US chant. And Vince says, "Can you believe that? Yeah, just just laying a foundation, you know, just like that. They're still playing up to the fans, but you can see something something's different. So we go to the following week, the eleventh of June, uh, nineteen eighty eight, and we've got a six man tag match. And, and this match is the Rougeau brothers teaming with Sam Houston against Danny Davis, Chris Ch- Curtis, and Pete Sanchez. Now, the Rougeaus come out waving their flags and, and, and they do that little cutaway interview. And, and, and while the match is happening, they do that cutaway interview. And during the match, um, Sam Houston goes to talk and Jacques cuts him off. And uh, Jacques talks about how they don't like Dino Bravo, people confusing them. Ray says that they love the USA. They talk French again. And Houston doesn't get to say anything. Uh, it's just a little subtle thing going on there. And I love it. The, the WF are always good at the subtle stuff when they when they do this well. Uh, they come in a you know, match throughout this whole time, you know, as normal. It's a superstars match. The 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 stars, the Rougeos in Houston beating up on everyone else. Uh Houston sort of back and forth a little bit with Danny Davis and he you know, Davis tags in Curtis, uh, you know, Chris Curtis. Houston takes him down and the Rougeos call him over and tag themselves in. And then we get the usual Rougeau things. We get the abdominal stretch we get um, from Jacques. He tags in Ray, who hits the Savot kick. Um, they tag Sam Houston back in and he hits an elbow and immediately he's called over by Jacques and, and Jacques tags back in. Um, you know, uh, again, we get a belly buster by Jacques. We get a Savok kick by Ray. Jacques hits that great flying back elbow that he does. Um, we get a double takedown. And now Houston wants to tag in, but Ray keeps working over the, 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 the heels. And, uh, and then in an interesting finish, Jacques and Raymond hit a doomsday device on Chris Turk Curtis. Now, this is, I think, the only time we've ever seen this. And it looked pretty devastating too. Jacques came off the top rope. They hit the doomsday device. They get the three count. And as the referee sort of raises uh, Sam Houston's hand, Jacques and Raymond attack Sanchez in the background. And they hit the other finish. They hit their normal finisher where Ray sort of holds him up in that advanced bear hug like the heart foundation, like the heart attack. And then uh, Jacques comes off the top rope and sort of with his butt coming across the chest of, uh, of, of, of the victim. So they hit that move. I don't know what it's called. I've, I've seen it over the years. And it's the same move that they end up doing with the Quebecers. Um, but anyway, they hit it in the background. It's sort of a bit noticeable and, and they hug each other and they leave Houston in the ring. Houston's dancing and they just, they just leave. So again, nothing over the top, but just a little, a couple of little subtle things there that the, the, the Rougeos were doing, not, not sort of working well with Houston and then doing a, an attack at the end. 
now we advance a couple of weeks and now we're at the 2nd of July, 88. And uh, and we've got a feature match, the Rougeos against the Killer Bees. Now the Rougeos get a bit of a mixed reaction and the Bees get a pretty good reaction. And they, they, do, they actually, Jack and Raymond hold out their hands. They shake hands with the Bees before the match. And Jesse sort of notes how gracious that is. And Vince isn't so sure. And he thinks that the, the, the Rougeos is a bit preoccupied with the fans. Look, we get a really. This is actually a pretty decent match. I, I encourage you if you if you get the opportunity, search it out. Rougeau's Killer Bees, second of July '88, um, on Superstars of Wrestling. A real good series of moves and takedowns. Um, uh, both teams just working really well. Um, Jacques Jacques does a drop toe hold and uh, and and it looks um, you know they sort of you know does a beautiful drop toe hold. And then he tries it again, and this time um, B. Brian Blair avoids it and does it to Jacques, and and Jacques's not happy about it. Jacques then does his reverse flip where he avoids the monkey the, the monkey flip and uh, or the back body drop with his with that reverse flip he does over the body, and he offers a handshake, but then he walks away from Brunzel and offers a handshake to B. Brian Blair who's on the outside, and he doesn't want the handshake, and this is the first sign that things start to go in a different direction because while he's doing that Brunzel rolls up Jacques for a two count and Jacques isn't happy uh Brunzel offers his hand to Jacques and Jacques sort of looks shocked and and then Brunzel ruffles his hair and Jacques backs up and sort of smiling and shakes it off like yeah yeah okay it's all yeah I'm with you we see where this is going and so Jesse starts to back the Rougeos here. He starts to sort of support them. You can see where it's going. Um, at this point, Ray tags in um, Jacques uh, on the Irish. We get a, the blind tag and, uh, and Jacques hits Blair from behind. And Jesse notes that this is a legal move. They have the five seconds, and stuff, but this is the attack from behind. This is not something you normally get from faces. Um, we get, uh, while this is all happening, we get another one of the inset interviews and the Rougeos are going, we're fabulous. And, and, and they talk about the, uh, wanting to dedicate this match to the fans on Memorial Day weekend, of which Vince comes back with what's actually Independence Day weekend and not Memorial Day. And they've got mixed up again. Um, we get, we get some double team moves by both sides. We get a hot tag to Brunzel. Jacques tries backing off and, and, Brunzel goes on the attack. He locks in a sleeper and Ray comes in from behind and breaks it up. So again, it, getting involved with quite an aggressive attack. Uh, we get an atom- atomic drop and um, on, on Jacques by the Blairs and we get that ring the bell where they we clasp the hands around their head. And uh, and so, you know, the, the, the bees are really starting to get the momentum. We get a, a, a whip, Irish whip by Jacques and Ray trips up um brunzel and we get a two count this time blair breaks it up um brunzel goes for a body slam well well, the referee tries to get blair out brunzel goes for a body slam and ray comes off the second rope to break it up to break it he sort of comes down hits uh, brunzel in the back of the head juck rolls through and gets the pin and the fans are not happy um and neither are the bees and oh my goodness this was just such a well-worked match uh Ray and Jacques, they offer the handshake after the match, but the bees are refusing. They want to continue the match. They're inviting the, the Rougeos back in and, 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 and Jacques and Raymond walk off. And look, this is just such a well-done angle. We start with 
the Rougeos talking about how they love the fans, how they 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 you know they just don't want to be confused with Dino Bravo. But the whole process sort of sees that slowly the Rougeos are getting more aggressive and slowly, you know, they 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 are mocking the US, but doing it in a way that looks like they're just maybe confused foreigners, um, which initially Vince sort of you know plays into, and then later on Vince starts calling them out, and Jesse starts backing them, and that's the process. But this is just. It's fantastic because by the end of this bees match, the fans have turned on the Rougeos and turned on them pretty heavy. And the Rougeos are now firmly, they've switched sides. They've become more aggressive. They've taken advantage and, um, and they've used the nefarious means to win a match. Not over the top nefarious. They're not, they're not using foreign objects or managers yet, but you know, it, it, it's a real with it, and this is this this bring this is the change of the direction for the Rougeos, and now the Rougeos become players in the tag division. As I said, they've pretty well been invisible for eighteen months, and after this match, they are now more featured. They're going we're going to see over the course of the next few Cronoso episodes how their role in the company increases, and um, and it's because the heel role just fit them so well. Um. They say that uh, that it's always best when you're doing an extension of your real self. And I've heard uh, I've heard Bruce Pritchard talk about the fact that Jacques Rougeau backstage was just a bit of an asshole and um, very arrogant and a bit of an asshole. And and that's who he became in front of the camera. And it worked. And it worked really well. And he's just so good at the insincerity thing, which is that's what came across in the in the bees match that they became more and more insincere. And I can't wait to see where this goes. But uh, this, this was a nice, subtle heel turn done over a few weeks. Uh, something that we don't get to see as often in the modern product. But uh, the WDF did it so well back in, back in, the, uh, in the late 80s and the early 90s, that subtle, slow turn. Uh, so yeah, there you go. The Rougeos are now going to be more prominent. They're going to be players. And I think we're going to see a little bit more of them over the next couple of episodes. So uh, that's it for me for now. Um, Really encourage you to uh, to join us every uh, fortnight for Cronoso. And also, if um, I want to encourage you to jump over to uh, the Place to Be um, feed and um, and have a listen to my other podcast, uh, Through the Looking Glass. That's me and Scott Criscola. That drops once a month. And, uh, and we go back and we look at different events in wrestling history and how it might have been different, how different changes things could have led to a different outcome a bit of fantasy booking basically so encourage you to check that out but for now i'm the down under thunder and uh i'll catch you next time youtube we're back Cronoso, halfway through this uh new project kelly what's going on man i'm doing great man this is the first episode where we have a, like a potpourri of stuff going on here we got some MSG, we got some Spectrum, we got some superstars. The reason we did this is because we uh, we only had one Saturday night's main event, so I just said, eh, let's let's not give them that. Let's just still beef up an episode and then just kind of grab some low-hanging fruit, some interesting stuff outside of our usual format. And this, this match of Bad News Brown versus Bret Hart just stuck out like a sore thumb to me. I uh, I said, Kelly's new here. Let's, let's break his uh, YouTube bubble. I'm mean, used to YouTube, but your Cronoso YouTube bubble. Yeah. And I figured this one might interest you, and it seems like it did. Oh, for sure. Well, I grew up in Calgary, so I can talk about all that stuff. If <laughs> nothing else, depending on how this match goes. 
Yeah, this is uh, two guys straight from Calgary, correct? Yeah. Well, the well, of course, Bret Hart, uh, and then yeah, Bad yeah. News. Um, eventually, start there, right? Worked well. He he started in the seventies in different areas and was working in Japan a lot too, right from the beginning. But he got to Calgary around eighty two, I want to say, and then by eighty two, eighty three, yeah, he was the top heel, and Bret Hart was basically the top face. So they feuded there, had a ladder match that's out there. You can find that probably on YouTube. Um, yeah. Clipped, of course, because it's Stampede. But yeah, so they're very familiar with each other. And so it was perfect when uh, they finally decided to pull the trigger on splitting up the Hart Foundation and putting or uh, making Brett a babyface. Perfect opponent was uh, Bad News Allen Brown slash Brown or Brown. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Well, let me hit play. And we'll continue with that. If you ever want to, if you got this in the sky or whatever, if it, if, if there's a post-it note, I'm sorry. If mm -hmm. not, then enjoy. But we're starting this at 35 minutes into the May 21st, 1988 Philadelphia Spectrum show. Play. I'm assuming neither guy will have mu late. entrance music at this time. Yeah. I guess bad news never did in WWF. Yeah. It what do you think that's like, what, you think that? what do you think what do you think that's all about oh like the no entrance music yeah he never had that. No, yeah i don't think bad news had it at all like a lot of guys at this time 88 it was kind of i don't know what the ratio would have been yeah. probably 50, not 50 50 but probably more so towards guys having music than not but i don't think brett and the heart foundation had music until their second go together so after their I singles run here in 88 once they kind of got yeah. together a little bit more yeah i think when they reteamed at the end of 88 they introduced the yeah no one's oh, here. here yeah i don't think so yeah I the music they introduced later. Later. <laughs> you know, <of laughs> yeah the original the, glasses of course you know the pink ones are historical and they're signatory mm -hmm. or whatever but that aviator mm -hmm. one just made them kind of look cool he, mm -hmm. he kind of does look very uncharismatic with them on because that was the whole point <laughs> of putting them on where, you know, he, he yeah. didn't really have a connection with the fans, made him feel comfortable, yada, yada, yada. But yeah. I like that aviator yeah. look. Ooh, Mike, Mike Yoda right there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they would have been glasses he probably just bought in a store somewhere. Like They weren't the merchandised glasses that he had later when he was one of the, well, when he was the focus of the company in the 90s. All right, well, we're off right away. So, we just yeah, yeah this this it. could be an interesting match. Yeah, uh, I got see. high hopes. Good, this good arena for it too. Yeah, Philly. Uh, Philly's low key good. I'm going kind of go for my own sake. In, I'm going through 1985 on my own, and uh, Philly just sticks out. Mm -hmm. It's just it's just so oh, great. Yeah. It's just so great. Oh, yeah. I'm looking. Uh, you appreciate mm -hmm. MSG, and, and honestly, Boston's mm -hmm. new in '85, so it seems like they're getting mm -hmm. some like solid solid quality wise, but um. Yeah. Out of the three. And then Maple Leaf. I just love the ramp from the Maple Leaf. I thought we were going to try right. to sneak in Maple Leaf, but it wasn't working. Yeah. Aesthetic of all those four, all the, the fan bases are very similar. You know, they're made up of yeah. heavy, hardcore fans, uh, working class, lunch pail guys and stuff. Um, yeah. Talking to a union asshole uh, right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, yeah, I could definitely relate. Oh, there you go. Oh. That's one bump from bad news. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't think we're going to yeah. get any of those. Yeah, well, I think he'll give Brett more than he would give 
other guys because of the long time connection, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think there was mutual respect there. I can't remember exactly what Brett wrote about him in his book. I think he did he kind of complain about how stiff bad news could be and basically was really punching him <laughs> whenever or kicking him. <laughs> there was no working to those punches or kicks. Yeah. Oh, look at that. There's a, there's a Philly piece of, piece of mm -hmm. shit right there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, pulling my hair. Okay, buddy, you got about as much hair as <laughs> That's great. <laughs> that is pretty great. great great healing ah so funny story here uh, i don't know if you know this one jimmy cord i heard this one from jimmy corderas on a random i think a random torch replay a few months ago he said that they broke the wrestlemania 4 trophy the day before on a walkthrough so they had mm. a super so they had a super glue it and it was mm. a little too stiff on the super glue that's why brett, brett had such a hard time breaking it at wrestlemania 4 after bad news won that battle royal mm. trophy Interesting. So that was, was a little nugget that I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, it was the giant, such a giant trophy. And they would kind of reuse that same look for trophies over the years. Yeah. Um, I remember once they randomly gave Bret Hart like a wrestler of the year trophy. I think it was in 1991 when he was IC champ. And it was basically identical to that Battle Royal trophy. So I guess they had a trophy guy that they yeah. probably got a good deal on. <laughs> hey, man. If they fixed, don't break it, right? Yeah, no, and I think there was other instances where they used very similar. If it ain't like broken, that. don't fix it. Yeah. Same with the belt, so he's the same guy, right? Yeah, Richie Parsons or Richie Parks or I don't know. Uh, Reggie, Park. Park. Reggie Parks. Reggie Parks. Yeah. I, I wouldn't I have buy, thought of I the name until you said Park. Bit. Then I remembered. Yeah. I'm actually surprised <laughs> I did that well, actually. <laughs> So this is very well worked so far. You know, it's mm -hmm. they're taking the time. Bad news went out there, did a little stalling and whatnot, but yeah, they were uh, they're gonna be all right, I think. Yeah, well, they were wrestling as soon as WrestleMania was over. They were wrestling every night for months, pretty much. Yep. Ooh. Two two bumps for bad news. All right, respect. Mm -hmm. uh. Yeah, this is an interesting period for, for Brett because this is obviously the, the babyface run that didn't take or they, you know, called an audible. I've, I've always been curious at, at how over Brett was. I mean, the, the reason they turned him babyface and split up the Heart Foundation was apparently because he was getting like an absurd amount of fan mail, like compared to his status at the time. And uh, a lot of women uh, were into him. And yeah, because he was considered a hunk um, at that time. That was like the 80s with the hunky uh, baby faces. Greasy and, hair. And, yeah. yeah, yeah, the sunglasses. And the pink was was cool too. Um, That's interesting. So you think they get, do you think they uh, they were just kind of like, all right, let's see how it goes. We'll, we're not really yeah. investing it and we'll just see how it goes. And then they well, Brett his book, it Yeah, Brett tells it in his book how Vince just called him one morning. He's like, okay, this is what we're doing. We're going to push you as a baby face, split up the hard foundation. And yeah. But I mean, when you're matched up with Brad, Bad News Allen right away, it's kind of a tough spot because they were protecting Bad News. They had plans yeah. for Bad News. So he wasn't going to get wins over him. So... Yeah, Bad News could go on to main event for the next yeah. few months. Exactly. Basically from the, from the Bret Hart feud, he goes yeah. like right Sad. into the main events pretty much almost after. So yeah, I I I often wonder how much they really 
if they were just kind of using Brett to get bad news over and then they always kind of plan to put them back together because yeah, they still had a lot of gas in the tank as a tag team. Cause they hadn't had a baby face run as a tag team yet. And um, yeah, they had tons of great matches in the future as a baby face tag team. Man, that kicker looked, looked just looked awesome. <laughs> that really is like special. Mm-hmm. Oh, even yeah. Here, like in singles matches, like a few years earlier when he was, of course, mostly doing tags, but he would have the occasional singles. They were great, like against Dynamite and Ricky's team in Boston. Yeah. But, I mean, he worked <laughs> singles so much. All, like, he was, yeah, like a veteran wrestler when he came to the WWF, even though it seemed like, or he was kind of presented as a rookie, almost. But, no, he had almost a decade of experience under his belt by that point. All right, then, well... I mean, he's all, he was already in his 30s by this point. He was 31, I think, or 30, 31. Really? Yeah, surprisingly old. And bad news, of course, is like mid-40s at this point. Well, what <laughs> does Brett get going? Chicken. Early, early 80s in Calgary? Because, what, he does the amateur stuff uh, or whatnot, and then... Yeah, late 70s, like 70, I think 77 he was... Yeah, and then probably by 78 he was like full-time, yeah. Right around the time Dynamite Kid came to the territory, and then they they feuded right away, and that kind of uh, kick-started things. The territory had, was in a big slump around 76, 77, and uh, the fast young guys like Brett and Dynamite turned things around. Bruce Hart, too. Nice. Only if Bruce got that feud in 94, like he should have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he'd know. He tried <laughs> a few times to get involved. 93 with in the Doink Lawler. In the Doinks, match. yep. <laughs> 94 and then even in 97 in calgary at the canadian stampede he was try he was uh, somewhat involved with that too yeah but he what was the only match he got was the survivor series 93 yeah i believe i i think that is the only match he ever had maybe some dark stuff i'm not sure 100 percent, but i, I want to say that Oof, was it that looked good that uh, is very vibrant in this match, more than usual. <laughs> I dig it. Maybe he's trying to show his chops, get ready for the macho. What do you think? Yeah, and this may have been his first match in Philly, too. I'm not sure. when he's, I can't remember when he... I guess he started in late 87. Yeah, for Cardoso, he just started popping up, I believe, his first time around was at WrestleMania. Yeah, the- like he, he wasn't even in the first Royal Rumble, was he? No. But he was, I'm pretty sure he was already in the territory by that time. He was, I can remember him popping up because I knew him from Calgary already. And then one more, he suddenly, I think the first thing I remember was like an insert of him in a mat where um, JYD was wrestling somebody and he like cut a promo on JYD saying, Well, I'm coming for you. But I don't know if that went anywhere. (laughs) JYD's on the final nine here, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, well, yeah, he was able to ride out the last year just on fumes basically but uh yeah that's the first i remember of bad news brown in the wwf was an insert promo interesting it's funny how that works because nowadays you, you hear he's coming forever and then yeah no i don't think i don't think he got any vin- big vignettes or anything not that i can recall yeah interesting i wonder what vince really thought of him because he's pretty bland you know black trunks black boots black knee pads you know just your typical as a heel, he's just your typical guy, really. Yeah, 
but no, I mean, he must have. So, I mean, he he was great as a heel. I mean, yeah, he oh, yeah. he did stick out. I mean, that was one of the cool things about him in WWF is he wasn't the, a cartoon character, you know, surrounded by all these other cartoon characters. He was mm-hmm. really dangerous. Out. Yeah, yeah. This was the you know, well, it would get even more cartoony after this, but it was well, it, it was getting what, it no. was pretty. Yeah, got, yeah, right. <laughs> and he didn't Maybe he last grows too, at the times much a little longer bit. after that. Yeah. <laughs> Oof. Pretty lean. That's pretty lean out there. That's not, yeah. actually for no early mats. ADA. That's a, for early ADA. That's some pretty advanced heart foundation gear. Mm. Yeah, I was wondering what he was gonna wear um, in this match because at WrestleMania, where's that weird? Oh combo that he like well it's, it's like a the, the black singlet over top tights that i don't know if he wore that too often or ever again it was a bad choice anyway yeah this is kind of what he'd, he'd rock for the next couple of years or so man in the late early 90s he's just rocking with gear <laughs> when he becomes mm-hmm. ic champ and then even yeah then it sort of evolves on like an almost weekly basis with different touches, kind of like changing. Yeah, yeah. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, in different shades of pink and stuff. Yeah, yeah. Sequences and whatnot. My favorite was always that orange outline. I don't know why it it didn't fit. There was no real mm. value to it. Right. Survivor Series '96 one. That one always kind of stuck out. That's right. Yeah, yeah. When he his, his first match back. I believe they made a figure out of it. I don't know if you're uh, really hmm. on the on the figure news, but yeah, they uh, they made a figure out of that one. Interesting. As a kid, man, I was more of a Sean guy because I'm a little younger, so I <laughs> born in eighty. I like Sean a lot too. Yeah, but I mean, being from Calgary, it was it was like rooting for a sports team <laughs> when Brett when Brett got pushed to the first IC and then and then the world title. It was like, yeah, it was like. Wow, my favorite team is winning championships. Basically, the same feeling. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was in high school. I knew I was, of course, well aware how wrestling worked by then, but yeah, yeah, I yeah. was still very into it. Like I lived and died by Red Heart for several years. Absolutely. So, what we, bad news is just just grinding him here. You know, he's just, mm-hmm. it's just kind of like, all right, we know what we're going. We know where we're going here. I'm going to make you work for that. You know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and bad news, his matches were usually not too long. I guess against Savage, oh, they would have been longer. But usually he wouldn't uh, be expected that to go too long. That chest bump is, you know, a token of Brett, and man, that was just... <laughs> yeah. That's just awesome. Yeah, we got to go for it again, bad news? Let's see. Nope. No, well, yes, is going to no. eat it. <laughs> Not, not as much velocity and oof from bad no, news. No, 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 no. By the way, bump number three from bad news. All right, <laughs> that wasn't that was kind of like a C C C minus kind of bump. <laughs> yeah, first the two. Over, pretty... Yeah, the ones to the outside were more impressive. It's all right though. Our, like you just said, our bands will get a little long in the tooth. You don't really grind this mm-hmm. long. I love the shit talk though. Again. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Your father still owes me money from '82. That's what he's saying. <laughs> he was almost speaking of that Silver Series match with Hart against Austin. I mean, Bad News was almost like a proto Steve Austin 
you know, yeah, actually down to like the the look, the black trunks, the beard, yeah. bald head, the shit talking. Yeah, and like not getting along with fellow heels, you know, basically mm. like fighting with everybody, like Austin was right in the first. Don't uh, trust year or anybody. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It wasn't a connection I thought of at the time, but in the last, I don't know, it was a few years ago. Um, I made that connection, or someone I was talking to made that connection, and it's it's very obvious. I never put that together, and it makes so much sense. Yeah. Wow, that's uh, kind of blow my mind a little bit there on that one. <laughs> there you go. That's why I'm here. I'm that's what we bring. That's what you bring to, to the table. I love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Bad news, Brown, an early Stone Cold Steve Austin. Yeah, yeah. Stone Cold Bad News Brown. So before there was L.A. Night to The Rock, there was yeah. Stone Cold to uh, Bad News. Yeah. All right. I'm going to call. Yeah. Gonna call I mean, yeah, I don't know if, <laughs> if Austin's ever said anything, if there was any direct influence or not. Um, yeah, because he wouldn't have got a chance to really see Bad News work too much. I don't well, think. Yeah. What? what do I you mean, if he was watching at this yeah. time, I guess he probably was. He was a wrestling fan. Yeah. Before he got into wrestling. He was he I'm down at I forget his college. I'm playing fullback for friggin' Right. South Texas State or whatever. Was yeah. I don't know. It wasn't West Texas State, I know that. That, that was funk. <laughs> yeah. That the whole DiBiase. Tito Santana, Tully Tito Santana, Tully, yeah, that's uh Stan Hansen, I think Brody too. That, it goes that deep at yeah yeah, yeah it goes it goes really deep i know the first three or four but yeah wow. yeah no it, it's i don't think maybe maybe dusty too i can't remember i was gonna say dusty i thought maybe dusty. yeah because oh. dusty would have been a lot younger than most of those guys because a lot of them coach. they all played on the same team like tully blanchard was the quarterback when tito was a, a tight end i believe or wide receiver Tito really yeah well, as a quarterback, I mean, uh, well, I'm a quarterback coach, but I'm as a football, high school football coach, that's yeah. uh, that's a lot of talent. Right yeah, there. yeah. Well, Tito played in the CFL. He played for the BC mm-hmm. Lions. Yep. Merced Solis. All right, off the cuff, out, out of nowhere question here: Dick Graham and Roger Kent here on the ball. <laughs> off yes. the question. This is this is nothing for nothing. Gut reaction: Ricky Steamboat or Tito Santana? It's a question uh, I ask people. Yeah. Oh, I'm a Tito guy i mean oh, i love rick i love to steve too well, yeah. you're welcome you're on the board because uh yeah well when i was nine years old tito was my favorite wrestler he was okay. one of my first favorite wrestlers but i love steamboat too yeah. um but tito just a little bit more and then you know i mean tito's feud with uh greg valentine is legendary and then his feud yeah. with randy savage is legendary like all those great msg matches so, so yeah cool. yeah and like tito he would have a good match with with anybody, anybody. everybody. Yeah. yeah. So I uh, that's as as I mentioned earlier, my '85 rewatch that I'm slowly getting to all the all stars and champions and house shows and whatever mm-hmm. view pops up or whatever. I uh, Tito is the guy that I'm like drawn to that like mm-hmm. really just kind of grabs me the most, grabs my attention yeah. most, and I'm most impressed with him and Valentine. As where I wasn't oh, really, yeah. I'm not necessarily, I've never really watched that era week by week until recently mm. so uh i have yeah. a big appreciation for tito but i'm starting to see it more in steamboat before because everyone was like oh ricky the mm-hmm. steamboat. he's amazing mm-hmm. and it's like yeah he's, mm-hmm. he's of course he's good but i'm like this tito guy might be a little better i think but 
well, Ricky had the the more high end stuff. Yes, yeah. of course, Savage at WrestleMania three, but then Flair, the Flair, yeah. the Flair stuff in '89, which is legendary, and Tito. Like I'll put up the Greg Valentine feud against any feud, um, yeah. but it's kind of unknown. It happened before the first WrestleMania, like literally, the last MSG match between them was the show before WrestleMania, the first WrestleMania. So yeah. it's kind of unknown. And then the Savage feud also happened at house shows. Didn't mm-hmm. happen at yeah, um, it happened at Boston the big cards. Yeah, Boston card was changed. And then there was a ton of uh, rematches um, at MSG, at Maple Leaf Gardens. And uh, yeah, those are the money matches. The rematches after mm-hmm. Tito mm-hmm. lost the strap are, are great. Yeah, I, I, I just recently watched the cage match where he dropped it to Valentine. Or Valentine dropped it to him, excuse me. Right. Yeah, Baltimore. in Baltimore. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a classic, too. Ah, uh, what do you oh, mean? They... Uh, I mean, I thought the match was pretty good here. I was, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, there wasn't any slow spots at all. No, that was, uh, of course, we talked over it because it is a podcast. But um, yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it's hard to, well, you don't want to do the play by play anyway. Nah, you can't. What's the point? We're here to add uh, more color than play by play. Yeah, four bumps, four bumps for B- bad news Brown. Mm-hmm. All right. That's like a month toll for him. He must really like Bret Hart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, like I said, they were wrestling on a nightly basis. So, so I would go, honestly, I, you know, the finish is what the finish is. If you want to throw a quick star rating at this, just to kind of give a, a feel mm-hmm. for it. Half. Well, I would say 60 70 percent watching it while chatting with you mm-hmm. i'd probably go three and a half you know i thought it was yeah it's, good. it's yeah i'd say in the three three and a half range um it wasn't a typical draw from this time where you know the crowd starts no. chanting boring and nothing's going on now that one was building and they timed the fin or the time limit well with the pin attempt i think he's asking for five more minutes is that the commissioner? The athletic one commissioner. of the longtime <laughs> athletic commission cronies at ringside. All right, we'll see if he gets it. We'll stick around here. Let's yeah. see if he gets it. I'm going to turn the volume back down. He's begging for it. Heart's breading. Mm, yeah. Come on. Literally. Come on, bad news. Bad news is. Uh, <laughs> Checks already in the mail. Bad news. So I think he's. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay. All right. All right. We got this. He's dipping his toes in the water. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'll see. I don't think any heel time. has ever said, "Yeah, sure, I'll give you another five minutes." That, that never happens. <laughs> checks, so I'll, checks, I'll give. Check in, <laughs> he's saying, "I'll give you a pin attempt." start or something oh now he's <laughs> second guess this is hilarious. again this is a house show this is full of house but i mm-hmm. good stuff no yeah he's just no, no he's using... just want to talk to shit before you get in there no he's gonna try it. yeah <laughs> <laughs> fun <laughs> well yeah it makes you want to see a rematch for sure i wonder if they ran it back in philly at the next month's show. 
Perhaps that smells. Well, now, that. Typically, they'd be working to a lumberjack or a cage. Or, yeah, no or, time limits for no the next time match. Limits. Yeah. All right. Like so that. Brett's the crowd's reacted well to Brett. He's doing his doing his job. Yeah, I mean, he even admits at the time he wasn't ready for the singles push at this yeah. time. Um, and it's probably for the best that it didn't go too far at this point. Yes. All right, Kelly. As yeah, watch, that was fun. As Prism goes to a commercial break here. <laughs> I almost want to watch the rest of the card now. <laughs> I think we know. I think I don't might know what I'm doing the rest of the night. <laughs> I might jump this on. I might throw that on and see how it goes. Fuck Kelly. That was your fun. What'd you think of YouTube? Oh, this is great. Yeah, this is this is super fun. Uh, definitely should do it again. Now, if now we're still on, so if uh, <laughs> is there any other way that people could find you on YouTube if they liked what they saw tonight? Uh, well, it's uh, my buddy Travis. He has a Twitch channel. Um, it's under Jarvis, as in like the Avengers Butler uh, washing machine, one word. So Jarvis washing machine on Twitch. That's where we do Mystery Titans Theater. Every okay. two weeks, there's a new one coming up this Saturday. And our special guest is Peter Winson of uh, Greetings from Allentown, or formerly of Greetings from Allentown, I guess. But Never anyway, <laughs> yeah, very well known in these circles, of course. And uh, Johnny Soros, our other... Um, Awesome. Uh, permanent guest or permanent co-host so yeah. yeah it's fun we'll be watching all kinds of cra uh, crazy crap as usual <laughs> yep uh keithy his partner from greetings from allentown is on this chrono yes. so so he'll i don't know if he's popped up yet but i think he'll pop up sooner rather than later on this and throughout the episodes but kelly thank you and we'll have to see you yeah. again on youtube cool thanks ryan all right hey now steve bennett back here on Cronoso. my second time here in episode nine, I want to thank Ryan for looking at me twice here. Got a good one. It's the 61888 Superstars. Uh, we are in Oakland. I know that Ryan and Kelly just did a great job talking about Bret Hart versus Bad News uh, in the Spectrum in May of 88. 1744 they went. Great stuff there. You just heard Kelly and Ryan talk about it. Uh, a few weeks later, this is the 61888 Superstars. Uh, we're in Oakland, California, and Bret Hart has a singles match versus Jerry Allen, who is as generic of an 80s jobber as you could get. First of all, his name is Jerry Allen. I mean, talk about generic. Uh, Bret comes to the ring seemingly alone, but Jimmy Hart's telling him, and as soon as Bret sees him, Bret tells him to get the fuck out. Um, Jimmy doesn't want to listen, and the anvil comes down. And helps chase Jimmy away. Jesse is appalled by this behavior. Um, he first of all notes that Jimmy Hart does have the contract of the Hart Foundation. And he doesn't understand how, how could a team that was led to the championships by Jimmy Hart treat him that way? To which Vince says, well, you could argue that they would still be champions if it wasn't for him. So a good kind of gotcha moment there by Vince. But... Jesse's appalled. Vince seems to understand. We go back to the ring, and um, there's a little bit of fighting here. Brett's being pretty stiff with old Jerry Allen. Uh, and right away, Jesse talks about the magazine and talks about how bad news is featured in the latest WWF magazine. 
And inside the magazine, there is a mention of the Battle Royal at WrestleMania 4. And they talk about what happened between Brett and Bad News. And uh, basically say there'll be more of those two ahead. And if not Brett, maybe the Anvil will even get involved. So I uh, got some bad news for bad news. Both of the Hard Foundation might be coming your way. Again, Brett's really stiff with Allen. Lots of punching. You see a glimmer of what Bret Hart will be in the future. Um, and then he puts an absolutely sick, sick pile driver on Jerry Allen for the one, two, three. Jesse's really worried about Brett. He thinks that maybe he's going to go soft. Uh, he says, Jesse, uh, you know, Jimmy Hart is there to make sure that his men are tough. And without Jimmy, uh, Jesse could be soft. Vince isn't having any of it. Really just an A-plus pile driver for Brett, though, uh, for the one, two, three, him and the Anvil exchange high fives. And that's that. You know, there's a little bit of an angle there with them sending just uh, with them sending Jimmy off. They clearly want no part of him. You know, Brett wants to go in a different direction. The anvil's right behind him. I kind of like this. You know, we're giving Brett a chance to be a single, but it doesn't mean he doesn't still love Jim. You know, uh, the anvil is still his guy, and the anvil is there to support Brett. And help him with the problems he's having with Jimmy. Chase Jimmy away. Kind of watch Brett's back as the match goes on. I kind of like this. It's like you don't always have to split a team up. You know, to to separate them. And this is a good example of that. And maybe, you know, they could have took the Hart Foundation into, you know, the snake pit. And the Anvil could have you know, body slammed him into the snake and the snake pit there and and could have been this dramatic thing, but it just doesn't fit these guys, right? The Hart Foundation are the Hart Foundation from, you know, 1985 all the way, you know, to to Brett's leaving in, in, in 97 at, in Montreal when, you know, the Anvil's right there with him even at that moment, you know, and there was this rumor that Brett was going to be a cowboy, they wanted to make Brett a cowboy, and he went and knocked on the door, whoever the agent was, and said, I'm not a cowboy. You know, I want to be who I am, and where I'm from, if you're, if you're going to pretend to be a cowboy, you better damn be one. And, you know, Brett just always knew who he was, and who he was was loyal to Jim. So I love that they don't break up in any kind of dramatic way. Uh, the breakup's really with the scumbag Jimmy Hart. They chase him in his big mouth and that megaphone away. And uh, quick work of Jerry Allen and the Brett Hart, uh, singles run is, is is off and that's it for me I enjoyed being on twice and uh, it's really an honor right now to hand off to the great J.A.D. Johnny D'Amato a paisan of mine a fellow Italian American fellow New Yorker um, just a man I love and care for and cherish so please take the time to listen to his wisdom uh, that I'm going to hand off here to him as he talks about Ted DiBiase and Randy Savage in a cage match at MSG. Take it away, Johnny. All right, Cronoso fans. It's Johnny D back again. Uh, I got a gem this month. Got a lucky draw with uh, MSG June 1988. The main event, Macho Man Randy Savage versus Ted DiBiase inside a steel cage. And a uh, sellout crowd at the Garden. Business is booming. Without uh, even without the Hulkster, business is booming. And uh, while the cage is uh, erected, uh, there's some. Uh, we get an awesome uh, a promo from 
from Bobby Heenan uh, with Lord Alfred Hayes. Lord Alfred Hayes breaking his balls about Bobby Heenan, who took a, an earlier defeat in a weasel suit match. And, uh, of course, they show the end when Bobby wakes up and uh, chases his tail and uh, just does a great uh, sell job of the weasel suit. Uh, you know, poor, poor Bobby had to do the, had to do the job and, uh, you know, made that shitbag uh, warrior look like a million bucks. And, uh, and Lord Al was rubbing in. And Bobby Heenan also... Uh, made a point to say that Hacksaw Jim Duggan's going to have problems with uh, Andre the Giant in the future so to getting over back for, getting over his his guys and uh, and success uh, in the Heena family will be coming despite his little uh, setback tonight and and Bobby was uh, all cleaned up in his uh, in his suit and ready to take care of business to get his heat back uh, after making the warrior look good and uh, our announced team is uh, superstar Billy Graham and Ron Trongard <laughs> If uh, if I'm gonna watch a match from the '80s and there's no Gorilla and no Jesse, no uh, Heenan, it's uh, it's gonna be rough. So uh, the superstar and the Tron God they discuss uh, you know strategies of the steel cage in the upcoming match, and the superstar brags about how in his last match he ended Butch Reed's career in a steel cage, which uh, is true. Uh, I guess that was his uh, his last moment of glory. They they also. Uh, uh, got a sellout crowd, so got to give Superstar credit for that last little run there. Although, although the match wasn't uh, anything to uh, write home about, not exactly a four or five, whatever, nineteen uh, star melt special. Uh, uh, but anyway, as we move on, uh, Dear DiBiase gives a nice uh, promo, getting over that uh, he doesn't have to pin uh, Macho. All he has to do is escape, and uh, and also uh, he emphasized that Virgil will be harassing Elizabeth, so. Uh, while, while Macho is worried about Elizabeth, he'll be getting his shots in and uh, trying to escape. So uh, the, the Teddy uh, forewarned well, what's going to be coming. Uh, we'll be seeing a lot of uh, Virgil uh, interference action. Uh, the the Fink uh, looks a little funny. He does his intro outside the uh, the cage, and uh, and he introduces the Macho Man first. No music. I guess the uh, the money, money, money uh, wasn't uh, invented uh, yet. Uh, was, was still that, so it's... So it's a little strange, uh, uh, Ted just uh, coming down. But the uh, the garden uh, uh, serenades him with an, with a, some nice uh, New York uh, love there, uh, or lack of uh, nice New York booze there. So uh, to, to make up for the uh, lack of music. And uh, then then we get the Macho Man, some pomp and circumstances, and a huge pop, of course. Happy uh, June, uh, garden crowd, school's out. Definitely. Uh, Definitely a great crowd on on this night. Uh, happy uh, to be with, uh, watching a house show at MSG uh, with a huge uh, a steel cage was a big thing at that at this time. Uh, when you when you get a main event like that, that that's that that was a it was a it was a real special uh, moment for that. And if if you're lucky enough to to be there uh, for uh, for a steel cage match in the garden in the eighties, that uh, not much better. Uh, Ted attacks right away with, uh, you know, punches, knees, and chops. As soon as uh, Macho walked into the cage, uh, Ted was on him right away. Uh, good, good aggressiveness. Uh, and then, of course, the Macho uh, fires back. And uh, and uh, in the booth there, Lord Al uh, finishes his interviews and he joins the uh, the, the three man booth. Uh, not not a a stellar crew there. It's a rough uh, three man booth on commentary. Uh, for me, a fan of commentary is wasn't one of the wasn't one of the better uh, trios there. Uh, uh, Ted uh, gets over that uh, that he's gonna tr he's gonna try to escape the cage by by climbing it, and uh, 
he he tries once, twice, and and Macho keeps yanking him down every time. And and, and in between attempts, uh, uh you got to give uh, credit why uh, DiBiase is uh, one of the greats. Uh, his, all the, his offenses is very solid. Every move, every punch, every kick uh, has impact, and uh, he he doesn't just go through the motions. Uh, uh, and even even a simple uh, move, he he really lays it in and and you know tries to make it look real. Uh, hey, we all know it's it is what it is, but uh. But he, but he gives the effort. Uh, uh, Macho tries to uh, climb the cage, and Virgil uh, really gets involved, uh, climbing out that cage to, to punch Macho down a, a couple times. Uh, that, that's uh, you know a, a major uh, criticism, uh, probably the only criticism of this match. Everything is fine, but just the uh, the constant uh, attempts to escape. This is the old school cage match. Now, nowadays, we don't see that no more. They they try for the uh, you know the pin of submission in the middle of the ring, but. But here it was a definitely overkill on the uh, the escapes. Uh, uh, Macho try, tries both ways. He tries to escape through the door uh, to no avail. Uh, you know, Virgil thwarts him there, and then and then uh, at one time they both tried to climb the opposite uh, opposite ends of the, of the cage, and uh, it looked like Macho was, was going to beat him. But uh, Virgil, of course, punches him down, and then for some instance, uh, Ted was right at the top it could have just uh, climbed over but uh, but he uh, drops down uh, willingly to to give some punishment on the macho man and and it looked a little uh, wonky and to to explain it uh, I I will I'll give uh, Lord Al credit he says oh his legs must be given out to him uh, uh superstar that, that 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 is why so it was a good uh, it was a good cover because it, it did look a little funny that where, where Ted could, could have just climbed over with with macho vulnerable and he could have just climbed over and won the belt so good explanation there and uh, uh, then we see uh, Teddy desperately tries a door escape, and uh, he's got his hands on the stairs, just trying to pull himself down to the floor. And the, and a macho man pulls him back in by the tights, uh, showing a uh, showing a lot of million dollar cheeks. Uh, <laughs> Ted had a nice tan going on in, in June. Uh, you, you saw the tan line there uh, for an exciting moment, and, uh, and you could really feel the crowd was was, was really like a little bit panicking as as Ted got so close to the floor. Uh, the the crowd was like, oh my God, Macho's gonna lose the belt. Uh, I love that. Uh, I, I love to hear that. Hear hear that crowd. Like, kind of like sense of panic. Uh, it's beautiful that they're, that they're very into it. And uh, for the for the finale, uh, the uh, Macho uh, climbs, and uh, and once again Virgil uh, climbs uh, up from the outside to to stop him, and then Teddy uh, gets involved. So they're they're both kind of uh, fighting up on top of the cage, and then this is uh, when a fan uh, look looks like a young teenager, about uh, maybe maybe twelve to fourteen years old, with a with a bandana. He he managed to escape security and climbs all the way to the top, to the top of the cage, and Lord Al and. Uh, and superstar definitely acknowledge it. They're like, "Oh, you got to get down there. You can't do that." They're admonishing him. They definitely acknowledge it. But luckily, security guy was able to get to him, kind of grab his leg and get him down right away. And we're gonna see what happened after that. So, uh, so meanwhile, all three of them are kind of perched up on the cage. Uh, Virgil on the outside, uh, and Macho and Teddy on the inside. Uh, and uh, and a great finish here, where Macho uh, kind of maneuvers them and uh, gives them a double noggin knocker and bangs their heads together. Virgil plops down on the out on the outside. Uh, T- Teddy falls back on the inside, and then Macho just finishes climbing the 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 cage and drops down for the victory. Uh, a glorious victory. Great pop from the crowd. This is a you know send the send the crowd home. Happy, uh, just uh, a great finish. Uh, I, I gave my criticisms a little, little wonky with the uh, with the climbing and uh, 
which uh, you know caused breaks in the action where, where it was more of a, a contest of, uh, of who could escape. But otherwise, uh, a three-star main event, uh, crowd home happy, sold out MSG. What more can you ask for? June of 1988, a glorious time to be a wrestling fan. And it's also glorious to, to look back on it. So this is Johnny D, uh, peacing out on your Cronoso. Cronoso listeners, happy Barbenheimer weekend out there in the real world. Hopefully you are not, uh, you know, somewhere where a giant bomb of pinkness went off, uh, you know, since it's a bomb and a pink. And uh, that's not funny. Let's move on. It's Johnny C here, uh, you know, talking about some of the big goings-ons in the world of the World Wrestling Federation. Sure, that works in the summer of 1988. And boy, oh boy... It is a royal occasion today because we're going to be talking about the crowning of a king. Not so much a tribal chief, but I like the brand synergy there. The segment that I'm here to guide you through is indeed the coronation of King Haku. That took place on June 21st, 1988. However... It did not air until July 9th, 1988, on an edition of WWF Superstars. Ironically, this took place in Glen Falls, New York. Ho! The home of Hacksaw Jim Duggan, who of course would succeed Haku in the royal lineage. So I found that rather ironic, don't you think? Actually, it's probably not ironic. As a matter of fact, I remember my English teacher in high school did a whole thing on how ironic wasn't actually about irony. Uh, Perhaps a story for another time. But what's brought us here is that Harley Race, the person, not so much the character, is injured. And I actually read an interesting story about why Haku was chosen to become the new king of the WWF. Apparently, and this is according to the internet, Forgot to cite my source. Sorry, Internet. Uh, Harley Race handpicked his successor for storyline purposes, and here is the reason why. Apparently, in the 70s, the late 70s, when Harley Race was traveling all over God's green earth and laying his head in Japan doing some wrestling, uh, Harley Race was assigned his own young boy. And that young boy was Haku. Or at least the gentleman who would become Haku. You know, before I move forward, though, and this is not a Sound of Freedom-esque rant, okay? Absolutely not. Maybe we need to think of a new term as opposed to young boy. I didn't know. But the seed begins, and the ring is full of World Wrestling Federation heels. Now, this... This segment is available in full on YouTube from the, uh, someone taped it off WWE Classics On Demand and put the whole thing on YouTube. This one is worth a watch. Of course, I'm going to spoil the shit out of it for you, so go figure. Now, we're full of WWF heels. Let me just give you a little bit of a sampling of who is standing in the ring surrounding a giant, empty throne. You know, like a kingly chair. Not so much made out of swords, you know, that were burned together by dragons. (laughs) Yeah, 
you know, I'll fight you over the last season of Game of Thrones. I thought it was pretty good. But Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, and Virgil are here. Ravishing Rick Rude, the big boss man, outlaw Ron Bass, bad news Brown, which doesn't really make any sense. Honestly, I think if one person shouldn't be here, it's bad news Brown, but I digress. Uh, the Bolsheviks, Frenchie Martin and Dino Bravo. The Marlboro Man, Honky Tonk Man, Mouth of the South Jimmy Hart, The Slickster, Demolition, and The Devious, Mr. Fuji, and Andre the Motherfucking Giant. It's a who's who. I love this scene. It reminds me of when you read a big comic book crossover, like the big event of the year, and all of a sudden you turn the page and there's it's just art across all two pages, and you see a litany of villains like, we were behind it all along. You know, you got Lex Luthor, Sinestro, Cheetah, Dr. Psycho, Joker, uh, Black Manta, Captain Cold, Black Adam, you know, guys like that. Like, just, it's really so cartoonish, but it also makes so much sense. And honestly, you try to do something like this now, and it's not going to hit. It's really not. Now, there are great characters in modern wrestling. I'm looking at you, Dom and Ray Ripley. But, you know, if the ring's full of, like, the Judgment Day, the Alpha Academy, I'm trying to think of other heels. Like, it just doesn't... Like, all of these characters are characters. Like, the evil cowboy, the evil prison guard, the guys in S&M gear, the rich guy, the giant, the ravishing Rick Brood, the gigolo. Like, it's just... It's different. It hits differently. Of course, Bobby the Brain Heenan is here as the manager of Harley Race, and he's got himself a scroll with a proclamation written on it that he's going to read. Vince McMahon and Jesse the Body Ventura are on commentary for this thing, or should I say they're on Mystery Science Theater 3000 duty here, because these guys consider themselves uh, quite funny in this segment. Now, some of it, some of the, their comments are very funny, but I'm just surprised they're not you know, outlined to shadows in the lower right-hand corner shades of the geriatric match between uh, the Huckster and the Nacho Man. Bobby is ready to introduce us to the new king. A word on Bobby the Brain Heenan's outfit here. On my personal podcast feed, The New TNN, which you can find by entering The New TNN into any search engine or podcast search engine. I am not a whore. Uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan uh, is where... Well, God damn it, what was I going with this? Oh, I just did SummerSlam 88, okay? Uh, and Bobby the Brain Heenan on that show is wearing the same outfit he wore at WrestleMania 6, the black suit with the gold glitter Rolls Royce on the back, and I'm sure he's worn this a thousand times, but in my mind, this was a WrestleMania-exclusive outfit, and it's not, and it breaks my heart. Uh, Bobby introduces us to the new king. He doesn't say who it is. The pictures at an exhibition song starts. You know, the King uh, Jerry the King Lawler song. And out comes Haku! How about that, Jesse? It's Haku! Haku is not alone, though. Because leading the way... Well, I'll actually let, let Vince McMahon tell you who's leading the way here in this royal procession. And I just want to note Vince McMahon said this, not Johnny C. Haku, uh, being led to the ring by... Oh, a midget there holding the crown. And Vince sounds absolutely disgusted by seeing this. I don't understand it. Boo on you, sir. All the heels applaud and hold the ropes as Haku enters. I love to see the solidarity between the heels. Oh, you know, I, I bet you've never sat on a throne quite like that, Jesse. 
You know, the only thrones I sit on. Uh, you do something different there, McMahon. Ah, I see. Haku is all smiles, and he even does kind of a wave by just putting his hand in the air, because Haku ain't waving. All right, he's not doing the little royal family wave. Hey, look, Haku got a haircut for this. A little trim. Sure, it's not the first time that Jesse said the phrase, a little trim. I digress. Haku sits on the throne, and Bobby the Brain demands that we stand to show some respect. We cut to the crowd right after he says this, and then a wide shot of the arena. And pretty much the entire arena is standing. Vince adds, Well, I see very few people standing. Hey, it kind of reminds you of Mutiny on the Bounty, doesn't it, Vince? Oh, Mutiny on the Bounty. Spock! Spock! That's it. We have this Klingon vessel. We've taken from the Klingons, Christopher Lloyd. I've killed him in Star Trek Three to search for Spock. But now it's Star Trek Four, the voyage home. Let's take this ship and call it the Bounty. And go save these goddamn whales, Spock. Well, that would seem logical, Captain. Late 20th century records indicate that modern audiences will understand the reference as it was spoken by Jesse the Body Ventura on an episode of WWF Superstars. Spock! By God, man. Haku sits on a throne. He's all smiles. Bobby reads from the scroll. Hear ye! Hear ye! It's very over the top. First, he gives us a word on our former king. He was a king that stood for loyalty and courage! And, and and when you say loyalty and courage, it's dangerously close to George W. Bush. You ever listen to any Bush two speeches from good old W? Okay, Bush was Bush two was always talking about like people's generosity and courage, and that's what's allowing us to, to you know come come together as a nation and succeed in things. He'd be like, you know, it's great. I'm standing here at this library. It's just been built, and I spoke to many individuals here at the library, and 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 through the generosity and courage donations. This new library's been built. Or, or perhaps, you know, I, I, I sample some of the school lunch here at this beautiful elementary school. And the, the, the generosity and courage of the lunch ladies, or the lunch people, I should say. <laughs> it, it's so great to see these people come together and make these lunches for these kids. Their generosity and courage. King Harley Race, it seems, was injured. As the king, Harley Race lay, right now it is sick, convalescent bed. Can you imagine the people cheering about something like that, McMahon? Well, well, he wasn't a nice guy, Jesse. He's recovering from surgery at the hands of Hulk Hogan. Now, the mention of Hulk Hogan gets a big pop from the 1988 crowd. Big surprise. Vince chimes in, though, trying to prove that some fake news has just been broadcast. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Is Hulk Hogan a surgeon? He said he's recovering from surgery at the hands of Hulk Hogan. I think what he means is he's blaming Hulk Hogan. Which is obvious. Thank you for explaining that, McMahon. Bobby continues. Harley Race has had to advocate the crown, the cape, and the throne. But remember, not once was there one card or letter or show of remorse from Hulk Hogan. Not one! It is time for the passing of the throne. The gentleman you are watching now, sitting on the throne. And it's true, Haku is sitting on the throne. And Bobby said, you are watching the man sitting on the throne. Which I will admit is quite humorous. Vince McMahon himself finds this quite humorous. And you know, rather than give you a caricature of his reaction, let's hear from the chairman himself. The gentleman you are 
Sorry, Jess. To be king of In my opinion, it's definitely one of the better Vince laughs. Probably a little forced, probably a little natural. You know, the, the truth is always somewhere in the middle. The brain starts to list off the qualities of Haku, and uh, Vince is going to be our little echo here as he speaks to these qualities. Honesty! Honesty? A keen sense of fair play. You've got to be kidding. He's describing Haku. Loyalty. Sportsmanship. Ho! Adds in Vince. The whole time Bobby's listing these qualities, though, I want to talk about something that is very cool and not humorous and just awesome. Haku sitting on the throne, staring blankly. Not not in a way it's like like you would imagine Hulk Hogan Hulk Hogan staring blankly when he's like hyped up on fentanyl, but just like like a machine, like an assassin, like John Wick, like hey, I think I'm the king now. Like he's just very focused, and the camera slowly zooms in on Haku's icy cold demeanor, kind of like he's Glacier. Okay, now it's a despite that stupid dad joke there it really is a great shot and makes me fear the man that is Haku and he also has a keen love for his fellow man oh Jesse this is ridiculous a big weasel chant starts and because Bobby the brain Heenan is a professional entertainer he takes full advantage of this you know I want you all to stand up and give us a moment of silence for the crowning of the new king of the World Wrestling Federation he will now be known as, uh, from now on, King Haku. So, when Bobby kind of trips over his words, there is like a little noise that emanates as he's correcting himself. People do shit like this all the time. Vince, however, has a different theory. Well, it seems like he uh, sneezed or something. Of course, this is the biggest insult a Vincent Kennedy McMahon could possibly dish out. You know, I I don't like when people sneeze. It shows a complete lack of control. Just like, hey, get out of here! You're gonna sneeze in my presence, I can't handle this! What's, what's up with your complete lack of control? Perhaps I have a complete lack of control over someone's complete lack of control. Wow. How's that? I just don't get it. I don't understand what this sneezing shit is. Vince continues, Resounding boos here, welcoming the new king. You know, McMahon, you're awfully brave because you sit way back here and nobody can hear what you say. The crown is placed on Haku's recently quaffed dome, and the music hits, the king stands! Bobby bows to the king, all of the heels clap. Vince specifically mentions that even Andre the Giant is clapping for Haku. Haku gets the beautiful purple cape adorned onto his regal shoulders. Uh, All the while, Jesse is explaining the plot of Mutiny on the Bounty for everybody. Jesse, I wouldn't waste your time or your breath. Long live the king! Everyone in Glen Falls, New York, boos. Haku walks around the ring. Doing his version of a royal wave, which is just sort of a hand in the air. Hey, look, McMahon, even the million-dollar man's clapping. You think he had any financial backing into this? Well, there's no telling, Jesse. And guys and gals out there, little stuff like that is what makes this work. Like, I believe 
in this cartoonish world of Saturday morning professional wrestling. They don't have to show it backstage. They don't have to air vignettes leading up to it. But I believe wholeheartedly that before this happened, Bobby the Brain Heenan sent out formal invitations to all the managers. And, and those managers brought all their charges to the ring for this royal occasion. And maybe Ted slipped Haku a couple grand, or Bobby a couple grand, like, well, I, I like this new... I can't really do a Ted DiBiase voice. Virgil, give me the money. Bobby, this is for you. Everybody's got a price. <laughs> you know... That way, if the king makes any sort of royal decrees that go in DiBiase's favor, or maybe the king steps down from his throne to, you know, unleash a superkick party on some of DiBiase's enemies. Like, I believe that all this happened off-screen without being told. I just do. You know, Jesse, as we close here, what will this do to Haku? Psychologically, is this going to help him? Psychologically. Well, yeah, McMahon, he's the king now. Wise words from a Jesse the Body Ventura. Haku sits, still emotionless. The jobbers arrive with the little carriage thing that the king always gets carried out on. Haku sees this, stands up, walks towards the carriage, and ladies and gentlemen, Andre the Giant holds the ropes for King Haku. Andre the Giant holds the ropes for King Haku. Now, they sure will become World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Champions in the future as the Colostomy Connection, okay? But this is Andre the Giant, who doesn't have... I mean, they're both in the Heenan family, if you will. Or at this time, yeah, he, Andre's still in the Heenan family, and he will be again in the future. He kind of goes to DiBiase for a little bit, obviously. But what I'm saying here is that this is Andre knowing... Or maybe not knowing. I don't know. I don't know if Andre the Giant understands like the, the level of. I don't. I, you know the the what people around him think about him, the level of clout that he carries as sort of this behind the scenes icon in terms of. Oh, Andre was the boss. You know, Andre was the man. Everyone bowed down to Andre, and if Andre didn't like you, nobody liked you. You know, stuff like that. This is a fucking endorsement, though. On screen, off screen, I don't care. Even Jesse mentions this. You know, look at that. Andre the Giant's holding the ropes for Haku. If that don't make him the king, I don't know what does. It works on screen and for backstage stuff. Haku sits on the carriage and is paraded around like the monarch that he now is. Hey, listen to this, McMahon. He's got better support than George Bush, I think. Hey, we just talked about his kid. Uh, the wrestlers walk behind the carriage and make their exit. Jesse lets us at home know that McMahon is jealous that he's not the one sitting on the throne. Bobby the Brain yells, Long live the king! Long live the king! And that is a wrap on the royal coronation. It was a royal pleasure to watch it. I think you should. Yes, I've spoiled it. But at the same time, watch something like this and then, uh, you know, try to imagine it happening now. It's just a different feel. Sure, we do in-ring interview segments all the fucking time. Hey, I like all the bloodline stuff too. The trial of, the civil war of, the calling out of. I, I love the, you know, 30-minute segments on Fox that over... Like, I do. I really appreciate that stuff. It hits on a whole different type of level. This stuff hits on a different level. Maybe it's because I was a kid growing up experiencing all these things and these characters for the first time. And maybe my brain is stuck in that kid mold. But I do think... 
In the often cartoonish world of professional wrestling, this is a shining example of why it worked when it did. It's going to wrap it up here for old Johnny C. I previously shilled the new TNN podcast feed. Check it out if you're feeling inclined, looking for some humorous takes, but also some serious takes on professional wrestling and pop culture. Uh, but definitely check out once a month here on the Multiverse of Fabulousness, myself and my partner in crime, Mr. Keithy Langston, who's a big haku, Mark, uh, host the Multiverse of Fabulousness. In July, we uh, did a tournament we ran through the brackets of movies that feature a professional wrestler. Which one do you want to watch just to have a good time? Check that one out. And check us out in August when we're going to be bringing you a special look into maybe what a WWE Super Smash Brothers fighting game might have to offer deep, hardcore fans if it were to be a reality. I'm Johnny C, and a winner is you. YouTube, we are here for Cardoso. We are back for the final segment of this ninth episode of Cardoso. Dave Hall is with me. How is it down under, Dave? Oh, it's a beautiful day down here. We're in the middle of our winter while you guys are in the middle of your summer. Always makes for fun recording. Hold on, pause. It's winter there? It's not just day. It's I'm yeah. nighttime. You're Friday morning and it's winter? Yeah, and it's winter. Oh. Yeah. That was, that was pretty... We're the, complete, we're the complete opposite down here. I wasn't ready for that. All right. I knew it was... The time was different, oh. but I think the seasons were different. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I guess you learn everything. I think you... I guess you learn something new every day. That's... uh, That, that may be on me. I'm willing to take that L. That's all right. That's all right. We'll forgive you. All right. But he, we are here to talk the start to the build to SummerSlam main event. And we're going to go over... Mm. Three episodes of Superstars from July 1988 and a wrestling challenge in August. With uh, all this having to do with the Macho Man Randy Savage, the Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase, Andre the Giant, Bobby the Brain Heated, Virgil in the returning Hulk Hogan, and of course, Miss Elizabeth. Lovely Miss Elizabeth. So all those moving parts... Kind of come into one of a somewhat you could easily say a top three story in this company's history. You want to say the best, you want to say top three. I don't think you're wrong either way, but I think it's, it's definitely certainly, it's certainly up there, certainly up there as one of the best for sure. So, quick, quick turnaround here. We got the Macho Man Randy Savage defeating Ted DiBiase at WrestleMania 4 to win the tournament. If you haven't heard that, some some decent little guy put that put that main event and did a nice job of adding that to the Cardoso list there. And uh, if you missed that one, go check that out on the YouTubers. That's on audio form. But now we are here. We have one appearance for Hulk Hogan between WrestleMania 4 and the end of July. I believe he defeated Boris Zukov. We went over this in this episode in audio. I think Tim Slavka hit that one. You said that was May? Mm -hmm. May or, or yeah, May or, April, May, sometime, sometime May. in that period. Okay. Yeah, Tim probably did a solid yeah. four or five minutes on that quick bout. But uh, this is the first time that we ever added superstars. We added a uh, a few house show matches that were kind of just high water marks on the work level. So uh, yeah, it's a nice twist to hear, Cardoso. 
it's been it's been it's been good. It's been a good it's been a good journey. I hope you've all enjoyed um the, uh, just some different things this this episode, and and we'll, we'll you know we look forward to hearing how that how everyone receives it. But this this storyline is is really um I mean like you said it's a big plane. It builds. We're looking at the build to SummerSlam, but I think the interesting thing is not only you know where we're going to pick things up from in this story since wrestlemania there has been very minimal interaction on television on on challenge and on superstars and and the saturday night's main event that we've obviously you've been listening to it this episode um there's been very little interaction between savage and dbrc outside of the typical host show promos you know they're meeting in in a series of rematches so and and Andre has been you know back with with Heenan and and doing his thing. We've heard that earlier this episode too. So there's really been a big, at least on television, a big separation between Savage and and Andre and DiBiase. So I think I think this storyline it's very interesting that it, the way it came about um, really sort of brings the key players back together um after after some you know a couple of months break and, and that's where we're going to pick this story up we're going to we're going to start on the in july um yeah 8th or 9th of july i can't remember the exact uh air date for superstars where you were yep july, july 8th. 8th. yep it's yeah. a, special, a special interview we have here with uh craig de george of course that's it craig de george up on the stage and and this is obviously pre this is before the brother love segment became the the norm on uh, on superstars and craig de george introduces randy savage brings him and liz out they're up on the stage and 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 really this is just it's it's a backfill craig talks about how the madness has never been madder and randy savage says he's ready for anybody I guess we find out how ready he actually is because in the middle of a segment, Andre and DBRC, DM Virgil and Heenan just come. Well, Andre and mouthing off at him. They're just, you know, just standing off the edge of the stage, mouthing off at him. And, and Savage is there calling him up. Come on, I'll take you on any time. And, uh, and then from behind... DBRC comes knees Savage in the back and sends him flying off the stage. That's actually a that's a pretty big bump for 1988 off the stage and onto the floor. It looked pretty good. Uh, you could see a little red herring with the George putting his arm around Liz, holding mm. her so Virgil can just come and take her over. And uh, yeah, that flying knee that DBRC's famous for hit him square in the back, and Macho did a great job flying off there right into Andre's arms. They continue mm. on the floor. Andre started choking him out, choking him out. DBS <laughs> had those great rights, those great rights. They're wearing them down. They didn't yeah. put and he, there oh, urging him on. And I yeah. just love Virgil's up on the stage holding Liz, like just yeah. holding Liz back. I mean, not that not that Liz would jump down or do anything, but, uh, you just know, it just it, it gives a good visual. Yeah. Add some juice to it. Add, yep, absolutely. He's a bodyguard, so he's protecting Teddy. You know, come on. That's it. That's it. And and that's really all this segment. I mean, that's that's the segment. You know, they're just laying the beat down on the savage. They leave him lying on the on the ground, and they're laughing as the as the segment sort of ends and goes to ad break. And yeah. you know, Vince Vince does you know Vince does the Vince thing. You know, to, you know, complaining about it. And Jesse is Jesse is as good as Jesse always is. Sort of. You know, talking about how you know, how dominant DBRC and Andre look, and he wouldn't want to be. You know, obviously Liz wouldn't want to be in there, and and uh, you know, it doesn't help. You know, it doesn't do Savage any good. 
Vince does say, oh, look at Liz in that dress. Knock me out, Jesse. <laughs> what, is he, what is that? <laughs> what uh, a dirty old man started early. What, what a thing to say there. But hey, we, that, <laughs> just, what are we doing? But anyways, that's, that's good stuff. So yeah, that was the first episode of Superstars. All these come on the platform. And the second one is two weeks later on the 723 Superstars. It is the Million Dollar Virgil. It is Andre. And it is Bobby Heated with Craig to George again. And Craig to George says, all right, Macho issue with the challenge, guys. What do you say? And the challenge was for a match when Macho is going to have a tag team partner to be named later. And that they, George goes on to says, well, I talked to Jack Tunney. And uh, wouldn't you know that there's going to be a special referee for this match? Just before you get there, just before yeah. he says that, what I really love, Heenan's issuing the response and he's saying on behalf of everyone, he says that, they they've asked for a concession from Jack Tunney. They they're willing to take the match, but they have asked for one condition, and that is that they get an official. Uh, I love this. He says we get an official who is no mamby pamby sissy, uh, who can't back up the decisions that he make. A man who can control things in in the ring. If we get that, we'll agree to the match. And That's then the George basically goes, "This is your lucky day." <laughs> And he says that Jack Tunney told him it's going to be Jesse the Body Ventura. And then for some reason, Virgil hands Ted DiBiase a big wad of money. And then he just opens it up. They look at each other. And then they go on to laugh. Wow. For about 20 seconds straight saying, Jesse the Body, we got this in the bag. <laughs> oh, I love it. And what and what's really when they announce Jesse as the as the ref, Jesse on commentary starts laughing, and you get the old Vince going, "What? It's you? What are you doing, yo?" And and it, it's just it's a real. But that 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 moment where DBRC and Andre and Heenan are all just laughing, it's just it's that telling moment. Like they they feel they've backed not just Savage into a corner, but they've got Jack Tunney backed into a corner that. Yeah, they feel they can't lose. And and it really just had that that moment, that, that laughing moment really just sort of makes the interview work. Yep. So right now we have the million dollar bucks of, with Virgil and Bobby the Brain Heenan. Steve Ventura as the guest referee versus the Macho Man wrestler to be named later. And it's at Madison Square Guardian, the big city. They go on to talk about the big city, the big lights. Uh, mm. Who can fill the big city to the big lights? And that brings us to the week after, July 30th. 1988 superstars when the macho man comes out again with elizabeth macho like in a was that considered street clothes for macho i i did see that it was a kind of jeans <laughs> it, it, like a, yeah a yeah sequin shirt i don't know it was a little weird now, the sequin shirt was pretty common but but the jeans more than yeah. the than the tights was was very 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 reminiscent of uh of the image he, he would wear when he was the macho king but uh, except the like you said, jeans very very down street worthy. Ashton washed so, jeans, by the way. Mm. Very eighties, right there. Yeah, and I and I love Savage gets up there and he's not happy. He says, "What happened last time he was out here isn't going to happen again." And he, and he really highlights the fact that last time we we saw this interview with him, Virgil put his dirty slimy hands on Elizabeth's shoulders, and that's not going to happen again. We need to protect um, Elizabeth. 
That's it. And and he's and because he's got someone watching his back. And look, you can hear the crowd in the background have already started the, the oh, chance. So I think it's really telling, you know, he, he doesn't sort of drag it out. You know, I've got the greatest partner in the world that you could ever have. And Real American just starts blaring over it's the system. It, yeah. Yeah, they're not gonna they're not gonna delay this out. The crowd knows where it's going, and out comes Hogan. The crowd goes wild, and yep. uh, and and Jesse Jesse says, "Now you know why Jack Tunney came to me because I'm the only man who can maintain law and order with these men." Yep. So we got three of the three of the biggest stars in company's history. Ten million dollar man is still that top tier main eventer here. These could be the four biggest stars in the current mm. time right here, coming out of WrestleMania four for sure in in the early eighty eight, colliding here in the Summer Slam mm. for the for the inaugural Summer Slam main event. Of course, Jesse the Body Ventura in New York City, the biggest city for the WWF. So the set the set the the stage is set to be have a a kick ass main event. But there is three absolutely. There is three. Yeah, I was going to say. Claims. Yeah. What are they? Three, th- three things that Hogan Hogan likes about Macho, and these are yeah. really telling. Uh, he says that they're fighting for the love of the Hulkamaniacs and the Madness Maniacs. So the fans. Uh, that, that's yep. yeah, the fans. And then he says they're fighting for the same lady. And Hogan just straight out announces that Liz is now our manager. Yep. And and yeah. I, I I nearly fell off my chair when I heard that because I didn't realize they brought that element to the story so early in 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 the piece. It's they you know, just out of nowhere, right away. Liz yep. is our manager. She's our lady. Um, uh, and and you know they're fighting for the same cause, but and and they do that. They do that. The the mega powers handshake. The the in and and let's see if we can get this through the through the camera there. But yeah, which way we can? I think I'm facing the wrong way. There you it went, is. You went down under on the camera. <laughs> Liz is our manager because up till now, yeah, yeah. Hogan's done a couple of the run-in saves. We've talked about that over over the Chronos You know, the the honky run-in, the the WrestleMania four. He comes down at you know, sort of helping Savage, but. Hogan's never needed a manager, no. and and he's why would Hogan care? No, he's not. That's true. That's no, true. He's so. a champion now. He's gonna kind of clam his way to it. So a little, little, little character flaw from the Hulkster right there. But mm. and he makes it clear Liz is gonna be in his corner, and yep. she's signing the contract. So they're really pushing this. Liz is his manager thing, and they're laying that foundation very, very early. They, they, he closes with it too. He says, mm. "She's our lady too, brother." And he threw a brother in there. He yeah. Said, now it's interesting. It's the manager, and then he closed with lady. So mm. yeah, a lot of interesting. Out there. Savage, Savage doesn't. We don't get the jealous reaction out of Savage. Savage is just. He's going along with it at this point. It's he's, almost he like you know, I'm just. He feels safe mm. because. He was outnumbered by, you know, Andre, Ted, and mm. Heaton and Virgil. He felt he's outnumbered, so he feels safe. There's no need to be insecure yet. They haven't. He wants to conquer them. He wants to get past them because he's going to bring in all the challengers. But he's outnumbered, so Hogan's there to help him out. Hogan mm. showed that he was on his side when he won, and he came down and helped him in the main event, like you said, like you told us about mm. it at WrestleMania Four. Got Andre away once. Andre's back. He needs Hulk mm. to protect him. 
That's it. That's it. And so it's all set. The foundation has been laid for our main event at SummerSlam. But there's just one more element to this story. And it comes up on the uh, August 27th uh, wrestling challenge. So we're a few, we're nearly a month and, and, um, and it's, it's uh, essentially a week before SummerSlam. So we're, we're just jumping ahead a little bit here from from our thing, but it's, it's a really key piece. And we've got a brother love, brother love has, has launched. He's only been on, um, for, for, for about four weeks. The brother love show has just been launched in the WWF and they're at this point it's on wrestling challenge. And, Brother Love brings out Jesse Ventura as his uh, as his guest, and Jesse comes out and and you know you know they do the basic you know glad handing each other, and then uh, and then and then then Brother Love looks at Jesse and goes, Jesse, that this we need to talk about something because I've heard that there's one thing that Jesse Ventura is deathly afraid of, and that is the eighth wonder of the world, Andre the Giant. And Jesse grabs Brother Love, holds his fist up and says, do you see this? And the crowd are cheering. They're loving it. I mean, I think they're thinking we could be getting a, a face turn from Jesse. We love him. And, and, and Jesse goes, I could come out of retirement. I could come back into the ring tomorrow and probably become the world champion. I'm not afraid of anybody. So it's just this, this moment that Jesse really plays into that underground love. He's the heel, but Vince, Jesse, everyone knows that he's popular now. Everyone loves Jesse on commentary and and really plays into it. And the crowd are getting behind you thinking this could be happening. At this point, this is where it goes well because Heenan and DiBiase and and, uh, and Andre all come out and, and, you know, brother love, oh, welcome brother D million dollar man welcome brother heenan welcome brother andre and andre just walks up and puts his hand on jesse's shoulder and puts the finger in his face and says you listen up and listen good and the look on jesse's face he it's so well done he looks he looks terrified he plays it so well we've just done this yeah, you're afraid of Andre. I'm not afraid of anything. And Andre gets in his face and Jesse looks terrified. But they don't sit on it too long because Andre moves aside and DiBiase comes over and puts his hand on his shoulder and says, when you pay attention, when you pay attention to the million dollar man and he starts taking $100 notes off Virgil and starts opening the jacket of Jesse and puts them in one at a time. And Jess, and yeah, he says, when you pay attention, it always pays off. And Jesse, he's he's looking every time he's watching the hand. So he's he goes over with the hand into the pocket, over the hand. You know, he's just watching all these notes going in, and and um, and Jesse just says at the end, he guarantees there will be a winner, and there will be a loser, and and that's where the segment ends. You know, Jesse has he been bribed? Has he taken a payoff? Um, this on, is a week right before the main event at SummerSlam. Yeah. And on Superstars, where they showed up, they, they replayed this, Vince got straight asked him, you took the money. Why'd you take the money? And he says, Jesse goes, he stuck money in my jacket. There's no deal. I can't stop him if he wants to put money in my jacket. And uh, well, I love money. Why wouldn't I accept it? <laughs> so it's... Um, 
it's it's just such a good setup because it now now the doubt's been laid that you know is Jesse on the take? Is he is he going to be down the middle and and play be the referee straight down the middle or is he gonna favor the the mega bucks? So it's uh it's okay. just such a great foundation. So after the mega back to the last superstars in J- in July, Jesse did close the Hogan and Savage segment where they came together he said mcmahon there will be a winner so mm. he told us the first thing he said about it was there will be a winner when and now he's taking the bribe so where there's going to be a winner but he took the money but the money was given to him he's not going to reject it's, it so. it's not it's not a bribe he he said i didn't a take bribe. a bribe but there's been no deal struck no it, but it's just yep. yeah no, but it's um, it just it's it's just such a well set up. Yeah, you know, we've got a we've got a, a main event at SummerSlam completely set up, outside of the initial attack on Savage, which set up the need for backup. We're not we don't have all these ongoing matches. We don't have run-ins and 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 stuff like that. We've just got used those angles, those interview segments, and the brother love segment to set up this main event which it was done so well highly anticipated everyone's sitting there going hogan's back yes that means the mega powers will win but hang on a second jesse might not be on he's he's a bad guy and he's you know being paid off and can hogan and savage overcome this it, it really sets up that main event just nicely so that we would call this chapter one of the mm. uh the mega powers and uh, I think we did a pretty good job of uh, kind of highlighting what's going on to that big first end of that first chapter of the main event of SummerSlam. Yeah, so, can't wait. So, Dave, that was uh, that was interesting. A lot of early seeds being planted on the road to SummerSlam between mm. these two guys in this very historical, we call storyline angle, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, absolutely. And I and, and I can't wait, can't wait to see how this plays out. And uh, well, that's. You're going to just have to wait, everyone, because that's next episode. Next episode. <laughs> All right. This is the perfect way to close it, Dave. So this is the last block here on Cronoso. Uh, guys, go back. This is on YouTube. So go back and listen to all the audio leading up to here. We have a plethora of uh, events from Superstar, from Andre and Duggan. We have Rude Andre and Jake. April, we have Jake and Jewel. Is this where the wife comes in on the yep. end? On yep, the Cheryl Roberts. April. Yep. We have Strike Force versus Demolition from MSG. We have Boris versus Hogan in mid-April, like we just talked about. We have Beefcake running in on Honky uh, towards the end of May. We have a few Rougeau segments where they turn heel. Fine. Oh, your, yeah. yourself are gonna go over that. We yep. have a spectrum. We have a spectrum match between bad news Brown and Bret Hart that meet Kelly and I do a watch along here on YouTube. We have Steve Bennett going over the Bret Hart dumping Jimmy Hart and going fully going face with the uh, mm. right there. We have D'Amato going over a DiBiase and Savage Cage match from MSG. We uh, and then we have Haku. Haku is getting coronated. All Johnny hail King. the king! All hail the king! That was on the first episode that we went over. So that's some of the stuff we hear had here on audio, and that's some of the stuff I want to plug on YouTube to go seek out on the audio. So that's it for this episode, Dave. We will catch you on the next one, buddy. And it is WrestleFest 1988. Take a look over me. I'm alone in this.
Okay.